0: Hello, fellow geeks. Welcome to Geek Out Loud. This is the 75th Epiversary, and uh, usually a cold opening means an apology. And there are apologies to go around. First off to Derek, my co-host and podcasting partner for life. I didn't realize this was the 75th anniversary until we got here in the middle of it. And Riley and Bethany Blant were down, so we had to record. So we'll do a redo. Episode 76 will be called Epiversary Redo, or whenever Derek's on again, it'll be Epiversary Redo. Uh, also... Um, apologies to Jason Swank and all will be made clear very soon into this episode as to why apologies to Jason Swank and finally special huge, 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 huge big thanks to Ben Foster incredibly great friend of the show has written some creepy emails but nonetheless good friend of the show I don't think a creepy email or two should deter anyone from being friends with someone once you get to that three four five mark however then maybe i don't know uh ben gave us a shout out in a song he wrote for rebel force radio that's right he gave us a shout out in a song or maybe it was a sound uh, in a song about celebration the point is this rebel force radio got their own song geek out loud got a shout out in a song so i kind of you know poked him a little bit and i'm like hey hey No one's ever written a song for Geek Out Loud. Why don't you be the first? And ladies and gentlemen, he was the first. Creepy emails and everything. He was the first. And he did a fun job. It is a tune that has literally, literally been stuck in my head since I first heard it. It goes something like this. Geek Out Loud is on. 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 Oh, my Atlanta. And, uh repeat wash rinse repeat that and i'm telling you we're going to stick it in at the end of the show so you're gonna have to wait a bit to hear it but we'll stick it in at the end of the show and check it out give it a listen and i dare you not to be walking down the road going snip it snip it snip it snip it i'm telling you it's a catchy tune and i think you'll love it as much as i did but that's at the end of the show what well, we have coming up on this show is an incredible talk about Battlestar Galactica. Why am I doing this without any music? How about this, how about I shut up and we cue the music. This episode of Geek Out Loud, Riley and Bethany Blanton stopped by from the Star Wars Report, not to talk Star Wars, mind you, but to discuss Battlestar Galactica. That's right, yours truly was sucked in by it, and we discuss it all with, once again, apologies to Jason Swank, that baby-saving, angelic adventurer, Jason Swank from Rebel Force Radio. It's all that and more on this, your safe place to geek out. This is the Geek Out Loud Podcast. everyone and welcome to what a surprise 75th epiversary of geek out loud this is episode 75 never thought I'd make it um, and and we may be on a we may be on a headlong rush to 100 if, if the plans that I have planned work out the way that I have planned them we may be at 100 before years in and and I think for episode 100 it's gonna be a geek out loud spectacular it's gonna be me. It's gonna be Derek. It's gonna be every single rotating host I've had on. I think I'm just gonna do 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 snippets of rotating guest hosts from from awesome. Derek to Dave to Casey to Kim to whoever, and uh, and we'll have a large time. But right now it's the 75th anniversary, and I'm happy 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 to have with me in the Star Wars room at my house. The let me make sure I say this right because, <laughs> uh, because it's gotta be done. The founder and host <laughs> of the Star Wars Report, the, Riley Blanton, and his wonderful sister, Bethany Blanton. Riley and Bethany, welcome back to Geek Out Loud. Thanks
1: for having us on, Steve.
2: I'm glad to be back.
0: I'm, <laughs> in that order. <laughs> um, you guys now hold, the, hold a special distinction on Geek Out Loud, because other than Derek... I think your episodes are closer together than any other guest we've ever had on Geek Out Loud, any other guest host. Uh-huh. So, in other words, whereas someone might come on on episode, I don't know, say 10. Sure. And turn around and it'll be episode 25 or 30 before they're back. You guys were like on in the upper 60s. And now here you are six episodes, six or seven episodes yeah. later. Wow. Boom. Take that, swank. Boom. No. <laughs> <laughs> no,
3: no. Take that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: And for those of you who may be listening whose name may be swank <laughs> that's Riley Blanton, Star <laughs> dot com. I
1: love how genuinely uncomfortable you just got just a moment ago. I don't
0: like calling real people out. No, okay, fair fair enough. So fair enough. and fair I don't enough. know why. I mean Jason Swank doesn't want to be on my show. Oh. So I'm kidding. I love those guys. You know I do. Glad to be. A part I can of only there.
1: try to come partially, partially Let as entertaining just... and engaging as the inimitable Jason Swank.
0: You—that's the second time in less than 24 hours, in less than, well, in about 12 hours,
1: I've heard you use that word. Inimitable. It's a, it's a new one. I, I'm. 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 It's one of those vocabulary words. What does it mean? Uh, unlike any other. Oh, unimitable. In, in a
2: positive way.
1: I feel like I'm inimitable. I would say that. no, it's no, a no, very no, no,
2: no, no. Riley has now attached that word to Jason Swank. That is I mean, the Nick, sole I'm, property of Jason Swank now. Well, it, why are we talking about
0: Jason Swank? I Mark Hamill those guys. I did. I Mark Hamill Jason and Jimmy over at uh, Rebel Force Radio and the uh, the the founders of Shot Glass Digital. Uh, on our last episode with Derek, and uh, and I, that's all I can say is I marked Hamilton, and now I have to wait until um, I'm told that I can say anything. They didn't get on to me. I just feel like I jumped the gun on some things. So. Ah, mm-hmm. my bad, my B, my bad boo, <laughs> as they say. So, guys, welcome seriously to to how are things going at the Star Wars Report?
1: They're going fantastic. Uh, we're right now in gear up mode for Dragon Con 2013. Yeah. Which doing is, some panels there. Yes, yes, we're going to be on mm-hmm. some panels. And uh, we just got miraculously approved as press, which is awesome. means we'll hopefully be able to interview people. Well, legitimately. <laughs> legitimately. <laughs> not,
0: not Have gorilla. interviews
2: that last longer than, than five, ten minutes. Like that actual. Nice.
0: Not gorilla interviews. <laughs> yes, exactly. Actual, actual real-life interviews.
1: No, things are going going really well. This past year, uh, this past summer was the really only the second year we've done it. And it just occurred to me. This is seventy fifth episode. We are about to hit one hundred episodes, and unlike you, Steve, I had not thought about it until like today. And I'm like, wait a second. Oh crap! Next week we actually have no. You a... don't understand. I didn't think about it until just now when I checked the episode numbers. <laughs> well, but see, at least you saw it twenty five ahead before you get to hundred. I'm just thinking. Oh, we should do something. Episode
3: one hundred.
0: Yeah, 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 we should
1: yeah, do yeah. something for uh, Star Wars Report. But uh, un- un- unfortunately, in that arena absolutely no plans. Well, I <laughs> look.
0: I don't. I- I'm not. I'm not a planner by any way. Um, so,
2: but you know who does good episode planning for his show? Jason Jason
0: Swank. Swank. Am I right? (laughs) (laughs) That Jason Swank once podcasted while saving a baby from drowning in a river.
2: (laughs) To Jason Swank, (laughs) to Jason. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you know, the, the plastic cup against the glass cup doesn't really sound that great, right? You know, wait, there's, <laughs> that moment, <laughs>
1: there's that moment as it passed from my left hand in front of my face over towards the glass where I was Oh, this isn't going to go so well. No, but I figured just go with it just at that point. a lot of
0: sloshing. Well, it's Geek Out Loud. We we fail all the time, so it's okay. I do want to mention that if you go over to geekoutonline.com, there is a, um, there's a post right now up where you can buy comic books from me and I encourage everyone to buy comic books from me I'm basically selling my comic book collection and unless it's just a comic that you know is I don't have a lot of valuable comics <clears throat> and so unless it's just a comic that is is considered a little bit more valuable most everything is going for a dollar and unless otherwise noted and if it's not going for a dollar it's not going for what the full uh, price is would be on a, like in a comic price guide or something. So head over, to not Geek Out Podcast, but head over to Geek Out Online, the place where the blog used to be, geekoutonline.com. There'll be a post, and whenever I post new comic and, and, and everything that's there is not everything that's going to be available. So check back on a regular basis to see new, new things we posted in bold. Uh, you can email me. We do everything via PayPal, and that way we avoid the eBay headache. So I'd like to sell everything. And if you just want to buy a collection of about i don't know 1200 comics maybe uh let me know and i'll gladly make you a deal so and we'll it just to get rid of them and uh and to make a little quick money mm-hmm. so yeah and if that doesn't work the star wars room will start coming out piece by piece <laughs> and uh there are many pieces. and that would be tragic that ah, would be tra- well, are they are, are they signed so uh, i have like one signed. no no i mean by you No, (laughs) you you need to get on that, Steve. Limited (laughs) limited Glosson edition. I might I might do that in a in a silly way with like some lame book or something, you know, like Captain Carrot, my signed signed by Steve Glosson. Diminish the value, and one day you go to you go to Comic Book Men on AMC to the secret stash, and, and you try to sell your book, and they won't buy it because some loser has written all over it. Um, But yeah So head over that way I know that's a shameless plug And and a selfless thing I've already sold a few uh, To a friend in Columbus, Georgia Uh, I say a friend He's a friend because he bought comics And you know who you are, sir And uh, sold a few X-Men titles to him And and so uh, And I got him right out to him As soon as I got his money So I was very good about it So please, please, please Check out geekoutonline.com Check the comics that are for sale And and help a brother out Uh, Riley, Bethany it's been great having you at my house again this week. Uh, let's get into some snippets. I have a few snippets I'd like to discuss Let, with you guys. Let's and do it. <laughs> and, if, and as you think of anything, here's the way, Bethany, you asked earlier, what is a snippet? Here's the way a snippet works. As we're talking about a certain snippet, if something, if it should prompt something in your mind, you just jump right in and be like, snippet, and go with it, okay? Okay. So, Riley, Riley you know how this works. <laughs> whoop uh, <laughs> uh Snippet. Celebration is coming back to America. It's coming in 2015, April of 2015, Anaheim, California. Celebration Anaheim, as they're calling it. I, well, I think there's, yeah, because they're dropping the number system mm-hmm. now, and uh, and so I'm still going to call it Celebration Seven. I won't be able to help but call it C Seven or Celebration Seven. And uh, I understand why they're dropping the numeral system. I'd like it if they'd go back to it, though. I'd like it if they would, if they just pick it back up. Um, it's such a perfect opportunity. It really is. It is.
2: It's 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 or at least just for this one. Well, just it's an, for op- this one, well, it's at an least. opportunity
0: I never thought we'd have because Celebration Three was, of course, just before Episode Three, mm-hmm. as was Celebration Two, and then the original Celebration before their subsequent films, or their pre-sequent films. You know what I mean? And um, <laughs> and and so you never thought you'd have another one lining up with. Yes. Well, C five took place in during was it an Empire? No, was it an Empire Strikes Back anniversary? Yeah, that anniversary. That yes, it was. Uh, and then C six took place during not quite a Return of the Jedi anniversary, but it was very Return of the Jedi centric. Mm-hmm. So for Episode six, and uh, here we are coming up on C seven in April of twenty fifteen, just prior to the release of Star Wars episode seven and I'm not, title. I'm G2. not gonna lie. I
1: I remember when it came to Celebration five and six and I knew one, two, three happened, I just there were passing thoughts at the time. I was like, you know, what if eventually if they did celebration seven, if they did another movie, it would be perfect. But of course that would be dumb. Why would they? Ever, why
0: would that ever happen? You should listen to Steve Lawson more. <laughs> you need to send me the soundbite, and I'll just put it in. <laughs> wait, wait, what soundbite is that? Seven, eight, nine. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, you're like, what is that? At Celebration Six, I believe it's been covered ad nauseum. Uh, my bit that I was doing for myself was try to convince everyone that there's going to be a huge announcement in the closing ceremonies, and it's just going to be George walking out, taking the mic, saying seven, eight, nine, and dropping the mic and walking away as the crowd goes nuts. Unfortunately, they announced Celebration Europe, and then two months later announced seven, eight, nine. <laughs> uh, well, and then show the brilliant, brilliant uh, Attack of the Clones 3D, and well Revenge of the Sith 3D, and then cancel and then canceled it. I am disappointed about that. Just I'm disappointed about no Star Wars on the on the big screen for a little bit. You know, but we're getting episode 7. Yeah. You know, insert title here. No oh, snippet. Go for it. whoop pa Thank you.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> we don't have Derek here to do
1: it. Right. <laughs> uh, I was waiting expectantly. <laughs> like somewhere suddenly in the room you're going to hear it like a ghost voice, of Derek. Just
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. Um Star Wars, this is a question that I've been wanting to ask you for some time, Steve. There was that period after the buyout where it was just bad news, then mm-hmm, bad news, mm-hmm. then bad news, mm-hmm. then bad news. Did, did mm-hmm. Was that something where you really felt, uh, I've been curious, where you felt really got into the, this really is beginning to suck at Star Wars Fantasy? Oh,
0: I mean. yeah. Like, dude, there's a, I've said this, there's a Steve Star Wars Corner that is not released because I just sat there. And basically whined like a little baby. <laughs> you know, I mean it's depressing. Well, before Rebels and Battlefront and the next Battlefront, we I mean we had nothing but the movie. All we had was the movie, and I felt like that was very disingenuous and kind of a lowdown thing. And I get an email or I get tweets from, from someone and I forget who it was and he's gonna know who, he, who I'm who he is that I'm calling him out. He's like, Well, I can't believe you guys are so despondent, you know it's gonna happen. No, you don't know what's gonna happen. <laughs> if a company comes in and there's a property that's in place, ready to go, you continue with that property. That's my mindset. I mean this is not just it's Michael Cohen said it best he's like it's not it wasn't just a a cartoon that was performing well the talking about the Clone Wars yeah. this was a, this was a a ratings boon for Cartoon Network it was something that was consistently hitting in the ratings and then as they end on their last season it's Emmy winning the Emmy winning Clone Wars and uh Disney chooses not to go with it. And this is why I feel like the reasoning was a little disingenuous because like we want to focus on this era. Rebels does not focus on the sequel trilogy era. Rebels focuses on a time between the original trilogy and and the prequel trilogy era. And I just feel like, you know, that to say, well, we're, you know, we're going to move to a different, you know, move to this era now. I feel like that's a little disingenuous. I feel like their reasonings for stopping detours was more genuine Mm-hmm. Or were, we're their reason what? Yeah, their reason was. Let me make sure my grammar's proper. Their reason was more genuine for stopping detours, uh, because they said that we don't feel like a comedy fits what we're trying to do. Fine, that's fine, that's fine, <laughs> you know, uh, but but don't take the clone wars away, especially when I was doing so good. And mm-hmm. uh, and, and so then the 3D release, you know, which I wasn't super bummed about, but you. Add that to it everything was, else. Yeah. And I know that you, for whatever mood. reason, this the 1313 had really captured your imagination. Yes, it had. And, um, what are you, Bethany's looking at something over there.
2: You have, like, snippet? Yeah, snippet. And interrupt oh, oh, it. <laughs> okay. You have the creepiest, like, Luke Barbie doll standing down there. It's like, did, did, did. Sure, ripped partway open. Yeah. It's,
0: that is <laughs> that
2: is the what what is that? Where did you get that? that? Is an
0: original, twelve uh, inch line Luke Skywalker, uh, from nineteen seventy seven. It is uh, it's in. If you notice, if you go up the shelf a little bit, I think there's a Darth Vader over there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have a Chewie whose arms I need to repair. Um, but that that was in my brother's collection that got handed down to me. If you've ever you've heard, I. I feel like it fell down when you put it down there. Absolutely not. Okay. Did okay. you just lie on the podcast?
1: <laughs> absolutely not. Okay. Um, <laughs> you can tell by you can tell it's absolutely true by the way I draw out the word like absolutely not. Not
0: right. Like, that's the ticket. Uh, if you've ever heard Jason Swank talk about the Star Puffs on Rebel Force Radio, the Princess Leia—that's what they call the, her. Do from Star Wars. Uh, and, and on that old 12-inch figure, she actually had hair you could fix and everything. And I think it was Jimmy Mack, not Jason Swank. But Jason Swank was listening and enjoyed the story.
2: So Jason Swank f- fixes her hair? No,
0: no, no, no. J- okay. Uh, yeah, he, Jason Swank fixes her hair while he saves babies from drowning. <laughs> oh. oh, well,
2: in that case. I
0: mean. um, but... <laughs> I don't know how we got on that bit And I'm sure it's going to come back to bite me in the butt Yes it is um, <laughs> Why are you sabotaging me uh, But yeah so that's what that is That's what that Barbie doll Luke is yeah, Down there so anyhow back to Prior snippet which mm-hmm. was Celebration 7 we were talking Just mentioned 1313 yeah, I was, 1313 that was something that was On your radar pretty heavy For some reason are you even a gamer No <laughs> <laughs> well see you know that was definitely true because i didn't say n- no right
1: um not particularly it was the it was just the story that intrigued me okay. especially when i found out that clone wars was going in that direction right um with those with those ins- in fact i think it was the
0: episode when we came and visited you back know, in were, what was it yeah, february because yeah, you were like shouting 13 mm-hmm. 13 yeah yeah, yeah. <sighs> <laughs> that was right in the midst. That was right in the middle of that Ahsoka arc, too. That yeah. Was, mm-hmm. was that the one where she teamed up with Asaj? Yeah. I yeah. Was. That was the yeah. episode. And,
1: and you see, what was it, level 13, 12, or yeah. something like that. And, and like, they just totally skip right <laughs> over it. And, like, and I know. was like,
3: I hate you, Dave yeah.
0: <laughs> <sighs> Get off mic when you yell like that. <sighs> um, <laughs> <laughs> further <laughs> back. Further back. Little tip. Little tip. Just kind of do this. <laughs> and, uh, oh, okay. <laughs>
1: you are the master of the <laughs> off mic. Uh,
0: anyhow um so yeah but i was quite despondent and
2: riley was too i I, i'll have to say there was a time were you not despondent at all no i was a true believer
1: hmm Excelsior! Excuse
0: <laughs> me. Excelsior! No, that was fun. Yeah. That was okay. <laughs> Riley, you get deceptively loud when you start talking. <laughs> and it's like, because you're just so soft-spoken and, you know, eloquent in your words, and all of a sudden, blah, blah, blah,
2: blah, blah. He gets excited.
0: Yeah, you do get excited. I do. Well, there was a situation. Okay, pulling the curtain back. Last night, we went to go eat together, of course, and all the three of us. And there was a very awkward situation that began to un- mm. unfold as we were eating. Certainly, uh, to, as we were actually winding down. And big shout out to Pinky, who's been in the background on the podcast before, um, who came and let me know this awkward situation is about to unfold. forthcoming. You need to prepare yourself for just what is about to happen. And like Jason
2: right, Swank would.
0: J- oh, <laughs> Jason Swank would have seen the awkward situation, backhanded it, and put a stop to it immediately. That's how awesome yeah. Jason Swank is. Jason Swank, while saving a baby from <laughs> drowning and doing a podcast while fixing Princess Leia's star puffs. Anyhow... <laughs> Bethany Blanton, this is a. Great,
1: I, don't I don't know. This is a great bitch. I don't know where
0: the bear poking from you came from, but it's happening, and I don't. End. I like it. Um, but uh, uh, Jason Swink is my hero. We should make Jason Swink is my hero T-shirts. Oh,
2: that is a great idea.
1: Celebration Anaheim. Celebration like Anaheim. Like someday, I'm just gonna throw this out there right now before i'll then you can get back to mm-hmm. making fun of my loud voice. Um, the celebration Anaheim at some point, we need the five of us on a podcast. I'm just going to be that guy and say this needs
0: to happen. Jason O'Halloween, Jimmy Mack, Bethany Blanton, Steve Glosson and
1: and hope well, oh,
0: and Riley <laughs> that would be nice <laughs> indeed. Indeed, I think I'd make for one heck of a Star Wars report. I think that'd make for a great Star Wars report, Geek Out Loud mashup to where we do half of it there, half of it on Geek Out Loud, and um.
2: And, and just leave Jason. And Jimmy with them high and dry. <laughs> Steve, what kind of a friend are you? Well, let me tell
0: you, Jason Swank is so amazing that he could actually <laughs> recreate the podcast that we do on both of those by himself while saving That's a true. baby, while fixing Princess Leia's <laughs> <layers>, Star <laughs> Jason Swank. Um, <laughs> to Jason. The back of the t-shirt will just be a baby, the Star Pumps,
3: <laughs> and then on the
1: front
0: it will be Jason Swank as my hero. <laughs> <laughs> a stick figure, re- like holding, like Indiana Jones, like holding onto some kind of vine or rope
2: and yes. clears you
0: down and grabbing a baby out of what you But st-
2: But you have the Indiana Jones hat, yes, too, on the with a figure. halo around it.
0: Yes, yes. Because Jason Swink is an adventurous angel. <laughs>
2: That was even an uh, alliterative. That He's is an well, alliterative,
0: well, vicious angel. Something that is the episode title: Jason Swank. <laughs> is
2: Steve, you didn't know it, it's but my venture. goal starting with this bit was to get Jason Swank's name in the title wow. of the show. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I taught you so well because my goal was to get seven, eight, and nine announced in celebration, and we've come full circle. So. <laughs> oh exactly, goodness. Jason Swank, colon, <sighs> Adventur- adventurous angel, uh, mm-hmm. and Jimmy Mac. If you're listening, you know I love you. <laughs> anyhow, so, <laughs> uh, so yeah,
2: I, I'm trying to think. Well, no, no, no. Of- wait, this is episode seventy-five
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: of this. Inhibitable podcast Right <laughs> Inhibitable <Yeah>. podcast <laughs> But we're going to have Episode 100 Of the Stars Report We need to do like A Jimmy Mac bit On that
1: No, no We're kind of bring things full circle There we go
2: There we go <laughs>
0: <laughs> Alright Alright So Hi. you're making fun Of my voice uh, yeah, I'm oh, yes, sorry, sorry. Yeah, so <laughs> we're, we're there We're in the booth And it is an awkward Situation that is I mean it, For me Honestly To be honest With the listening audience It goes beyond awkward Okay To me it goes to Like I I don't know if you guys recognize, but there was a moment there where I could not form words. It, it it became a moment that was going to really just, it impacted my life for the next hour and a half. Stressed me out to no end, and um, even though nothing really happened, but as we're sitting there and and our good friend Pinky's letting me know what's going on.
2: And, and Riley and I are kind of staring with Riley, wide you know, eyes. And
0: it is, and it's one of those moments because I know it's now put you guys in an awkward situation, that I'm in an awkward situation that I can't really expound upon and talk about. But Riley, wanting to be a good friend, wanting to know what's happening, says, "So what's going on? What's happening? Hey, what's going on over there? Is there, some, <laughs> is there someone we need to handle? Do I need to send Bethany over to do some? Do we need to do some recod? Hey, <laughs> hey Steve, hey Steve, what's happening over on the other side of that booth?" is there someone there that might be might cause an awkward situation <laughs> should, I, should i should i spy on them i hate my life and <laughs> i start giving rally the shut up <laughs> shut up uh, but I'm trying to be polite. i like, could you just turn down the... Vo-? I couldn't say turn down the volume. I mean, I was that stressed out. And I'm just doing... I'm doing the Ross hand motion. Just I'm just like, speechless. turn it down.
2: And, and, and me- meanwhile, Bethany, unbeknownst to either Steve or Riley, is being totally evil because she recognizes what's going on but finds it way too and funny does <laughs> and does nothing about it <laughs> because she's enjoying seeing her brother... <laughs> totally get involved in the awkward situation.
1: <laughs> See, like I like to think of myself not as as an oblivious blithering idiot, but it's Hey Steve!
0: Some... <laughs> Steve, I wanna help you out somehow. <laughs> guys guys, don't notice it Steve's kind of weird right now? <laughs> <laughs> Do you need to go order you some more food or something? <laughs> shut up shut up shut up
1: (laughs) well and see this is where I'm a truly uh, terrible friend where I was thinking my first thought honestly in such situation is alright I notice there's some level of discomfort therefore Steve has a unique opportunity of two people in a tiny town where everyone knows everyone you have two perfect strangers who don't don't know know anybody anybody. like if you, you have the opportunity if you're an evil person which Steve let's be honest you're not well. And I made that mistake of uh, that mistaken assumption.
0: <laughs> I'm finding out more and more that the lady sitting to your right is.
2: <laughs> hey, now.
0: <laughs> see, see, uh, I knew what was going on last time I was on the Star Wars Report prior to the commentary we recorded. Uh, I believe I was told, and I'm the big sister who just let him pose that way for years and years, thinking it's okay. <laughs> This is so true. Uh-huh.
3: Evil by side.
0: <laughs> she just smiles and nods and strokes an Ewok. Oh, my lanta. She is the evil villain in a Bond movie. <laughs> she's terrible. So, uh, but anyhow, back to the the Star Wars stuff. I'm trying to think of what it was that pulled me out of my despondency. For you, it was Rebels and Battlefront 3? I would say so. Is. Yeah, I would say so. That that would be the one. It's mainly rebels, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely rebels. Rebels turned a corner for me when I started seeing you know the drawings of the tie fighters, and then and then there was the announcement. I'm like, okay, okay, I'll come around with you guys now. I still want those three D releases. I still want to see Star Wars on the big screen again, somehow, some way. Uh, yeah, I mean by Star Wars, I mean like the original. You know. Yeah. Um,
1: I mean, I think that's the big one. Yeah. Is, is a new hope. We all well, I mean,
0: I mean, like the original trilogy. I mean, all of them. Like all the previous filmed films. I want to see again on the big screen at some point, whether it's 3D or not. I just would love the opportunity to go to the theater and see them on the big screen. Um, yeah. But Rebels really helped me turn the corner. Abrams didn't help me turn the corner so much. Um, you, know, but, you know, it's weird. I don't, most of the Star Wars fans uh,
1: who I hear talk about it don't really have a connection with J.J. J. Abrams that I think. Kathleen Kennedy, if if I were just to conjecture, thought that he he has all the geek clout in the world. But I,
0: she's going to get she's going to uh-huh. refill her water. Oh, I said,
1: well she took the Ewok with she
0: her. She took the Ewok <laughs> with her. That's well, that's her. That's the equivalent to Blofeld's cat <laughs> for her. If you if you if you, for bon, uh, a Bond reference. Oh. BondCast.com
1: um, So. I think that there was a certain level of credibility that was assumed that JJ Abrams has with the geek community that he does have outside of the Star Wars realm but uh, there's a core of Star Wars fans that we like and trust George Lucas and that the level of trust that I think many Star Wars fans have in George Lucas and the Lucas film of old doesn't just automatically transfer to Disney or to J.J. Abrams or to Kathleen Kennedy, they still have to earn it. When that movie's in theaters, that'll be when the f- the core fan community shifts. And no, not the not the mainstream geeks are like, "Hooray, George Lucas is gone mm-hmm. because they're idiots and should go jump off a cliff."
0: I don't know no. those mainstream. No. I don't know those are mainstream geeks. Well, I think they're a vocal minority. And I think yeah, sure. that, I think that what Abrams brought to the table was a lot of cred. And I think a lot of people are excited about it. Sure. But I think I want to get out of this mindset. I went to see Star Trek so I could know what to expect from Star Wars. If you if because I, I hope that Abrams is a smart enough director, and I think he is. I think Abrams is a smart enough guy and a smart enough director to know that the visuals and, and the visual stylings that I use and choose to use on a Star Trek film are a lot different than what Star Wars expects. Star Wars has a very specific visual language. And and I've talked about this a little bit before, wherein the the camera generally in Star Wars is pretty static it follows the motions of what's happening sometimes but a lot of times what what is what is fast-paced about Star Wars are the cuts you know the editing a lot of times you don't see a, a single shot for more than 10 15 seconds and that's a long shot you know there's a lot of cutting back and forth that the, the 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 brilliance of the original movie I think is in the editing and um, and that's one of the places I think where Lucas and the people he surrounded himself with traditionally uh, were really good at making that, at pulling that movie off, was in the editing process. And, and so I hope that Abrams realizes, you know, the lens flare tricks and the, and the sweeping camera motions and everything, that's not Star Wars. You know, that there's a visual language to Star Wars, especially when it comes to these main story parts of the saga, when you're talking about an episode seven, episode eight, episode nine. I like the idea of, like, the standalone films. Experiment with those. Sure. sure, pull some Clone Wars. Do some stuff where you where you pay homage here. Or you do. Or you try something a little different here. That's to me. That's fine. But in the stand in the, in the actual story of whatever, I guess the Skywalkers or wh- whoever uh, that is, Episode seven, eight, nine. I feel I feel like there needs to be some visual language adhered to, and I don't know that J.J.'s the guy to do that.
2: Well, but he might be though, because be. It, it is often compared the two <laughs> franchises that it, Star Wars is a very much a sometimes it's a junkyard universe you know you see used ships Mm -hmm. you see space is not always clean and pristine and star trek that's often the case uh even in the new newer movies um i believe perhaps even jason swank said so once but uh
0: well jason swank (laughs) listen there's nothing that we can come up with that jason swank hasn't already said he is the founder of all original ideas and thoughts on star wars and he does it while saving babies and exactly. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
4: The uh, well,
0: yeah, just angel that he is. For, the,
1: for those listening to this, it depends on the release schedule, but we just recorded, as we were recording this, last night we did our Revenge of the Sith commentary, and what struck me, especially in the opening act of the film, is in the space battle, there's a real sense of weight that I don't really, that never really got in any of the Star Trek films mm-hmm. um, that I don't think needed to be there in Star Trek, that just in terms of the visual language and the visual style, when you see the capital ships battling each other and you and you see the droids and the shells popping out in the thunderous space, it's a kind of slow way of filming, mm-hmm. and he's not afraid to to pan back and take his time on the shots to see, so that you have a good look at what's what's happening.
2: Yeah, it, it may be as, as Steve said, it's a, it's the story of our heroes and of individual characters, but you can see the rest of the galaxy playing in the background. Right,
0: right. It's it's and that and and that was a thought I just had last night while we were watching it, and that's a fascinating way to tell the story you know I mean he did it with the droids in, in the original Star Wars that hear these guys walking around in the midst of all this stuff from their point of view this is what's going on um but yeah so I, I hope that Abrams gets that I hope that Arndt gets that you know I hope that these are guys that understand I think they are I mean I Abrams is a, is a professed Star Wars fan you know self-professed Star wars fan so I think I, I think he can I think he'll pull it off okay but it's just not something that made me so excited that gave them a pass for everything they were doing to, sure. to shut down production on this or that or the other. Um, also, so I think it was Rebels that started to really bring me back around. And then just kind of the confidence that I have that the original cast is going to be in in the sequel trilogy kind of brought me back. I'm like, you know what? Let's just have fun <laughs> with it. And uh, and I still have some trepidations there. I, you know, mm-hmm. I still feel like, you know, I, I really hope, that Disney is as hands off with Lucasfilm as they are with Marvel, you know, as they apparently, yeah. seemingly are with Marvel. So, uh, looking, looking forward to seeing what they do. Um, Riley, you asked a question last night as we were just kind of having a casual conversation that I never really got to answer for you. Okay, and that is Ultron. Ah, yes, Ultron snippet. Uh, Whoopah! <laughs> Ultron was, uh, is in the Marvel universe an artificially intelligent robot that was designed by Henry Pym and he ends up uh, becoming evil and wanting to wipe out humanity because of its imperfections. Apparently in... That is evil. Hmm? That is evil. evil. (laughs) That is very evil. (laughs) Um, Apparently in the Avengers Avengers 2, it's going to be coming from Stark tech, though the artificial intelligence will come out of uh, some Stark tech, based on what they showed at Comic-Con with the Iron Man helmet being beaten into an Ultron face, and the fact that Hank Kim... Henry Pym, the creator of Ultron in the comics, won't be in Avengers too. So uh, you never know. Which makes sense. But certainly not mm. the
1: not Thanos, who's the villain that showed up at the exactly. end of the early
0: one. Let me tell you something. That's what I love about that announcement is that we were all geared up expecting this huge cosmic battle with Thanos. And no. He's still out there plotting and planning whatever it is he's plotting and planning. It's kind of like
2: you get this sense that there's something looming in the distance, but meanwhile...
0: Well, and that's the thing. As we're watching this whole Ultron story mm-hmm. unfold in Avengers 2 in a couple of years, we're still going to be thinking in the back of our heads... Um, it's like a
2: comic strip. Meanwhile, dot, 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 Right,
0: dot. right. You know, there's still going to be this threat looming in the background. Well, remember, and, and I can only hope that there's a coda in the credits where you see Thanos doing something to prepare for Avengers 3. You know, and, mm-hmm. and get ready for his attack. I think that'll be very cool. And it could be that the Guardians of the Galaxy don't play into Avengers two at all. They play into Avengers three.
2: Back to the to the snippet before this snippet. All right, snippet <coughs> reverse. Snippet reverse.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's how <we> go.
2: <laughs> oh goodness. Uh, just for the record, to to me the Star Wars announcement that all of these things getting canceled, axed, canned, cut, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and R- Riley was just kind of getting sad. It was just kind of sad to watch, actually. Um, I, I exaggerate a little. But um, this, I, I will probably say this is a first in Star Wars Report history where Riley was not the optimistic one. Hmm. You so see, usually Riley is the one who's like, hey, Bethany, there's this new thing called out It's called the Clone Wars. And uh, and totally it looks pretty it good. Uh, oddly enough, Anakin has a Padawan. And Bethany's like, what? It's what? an animated show with a Padawan named Ahsoka? And my voice gets higher pitched with each one. It just zooms up.
3: And then
1: Riley was all like, you want to do a Star Wars podcast? <laughs> <laughs>
2: It and means, the rest was Ri- history because Riley is at his core, intelligently optimistic.
3: Let's
1: keep mm. talking about Riley. Hmm.
2: <laughs> so well, R- Riley's she's... like, where's the jab coming? Yeah, when I'm is waiting. I'm waiting too.
0: <laughs> I've, I am. Yeah.
2: <clears throat> but uh, he's,
0: no Jason Swink. he's no Jason Swink!
4: <laughs> <laughs> Almost.
2: You stole my brother Steve. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> but but anyway, but to me, that's a, a great thing about Star Wars is typically most Star Wars fans as a community are supportive and are optimistic. They like the franchise. They like the creators. They like the fans. I mean, you, you have arguments. You have nitpicks and little spats and fights over different things. But by and large, the Star Wars fan community as a whole is a friendly one.
0: I agree with that. I mean and I and that comes from having spent time at Celebration, having yeah. bumped into fans who weren't in the same thing that I'm into. It comes from knowing the um <clears throat> knowing how uh I'm sorry guys, I'm responding to a text. I see. It comes from knowing how the five oh first is and, and their charity work and stuff and and, and, yeah, I think I, it's interesting to me that a lot of the issues that you hear about at other conventions and that sort of thing, you never really hear about it at a Celebration 7. Uh, you know, there's never... Uh, Nobody there, gets mowed over on the way to the Twilight yeah, panel. There, Nobody, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's. I mean, that was a real I, thing that I, happened. I, right? I like, mean, it's a tragic thing. thing. And, and these are and these are the kinds of things that you hear about yeah. at at other conventions. Well, you don't hear about people getting trampled. Yeah. as people are trying to get into. <laughs> I mean, like it, it. was all you know. And people get disappointed because they may miss out on a panel or something. But you you don't get the sense that people are just walking around bitter and angry. And I think it's why George Lucas just kind of showed up at the last <laughs> celebration. Because after being at C five, he's like, "All right, you know, I really like these people. They're good folks." I, and yeah. you know, and and, mm-hmm. and there comes because I think it's good for them to see, and it and it really is. It's good for them to see there are people who genuinely like what we did with the prequels, with all the other stuff. Um. So yeah, I mean, I, I I'm surprised that it does. You don't strike me, Bethany, as someone who would ever be pessimistic about something. You know, and the fact that you... I would say
2: I, I have a tendency to worry more okay. than Riley does. All right,
0: I can see that too. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, when you've got all your evil machinations in, in place, <laughs> you know, in your world, I, I assume come...
2: everybody else is like me. You see, yeah, that's
0: right. <laughs> that, that, gonna, that there's something going to foil your evil plot to take over the world.
2: Well, so. see, there there are rare people like Jason Swank, yes. adventurous angels, and then most of the rest of the populace is just
0: just evil, mm-hmm. just evil, evil people. Well, um, another snippet. Whoopah. <laughs> uh, and this is this is going to be an interesting conversation because I've I've seen you make some snarky comments online. Oh I have seen I'm, see, i, this uh, is I feel, you're seen actually it.
1: genuinely making me mad at myself. Would you really I like I'm feel guilty. Would you consider what I've said so far about said subject snarky have no, I been snarky? I
0: mean, there were some tweets you tweeted ah that, tweets. that, that were a little bit snarky. I'm going to delete um, those right now. No, no, now. no. I mean, it's not, not in a bad way. I'm not saying like, oh, you're such a snarky jerk, man. I'm snarky saying, McSnarkfish. You're snarky McSnarkison. I'm saying that uh, I'm saying that there were some things you said that kind of shocked me. I was really surprised that, that you went at the movie the way you did. I'm talking about Pacific Rim. Uh, Bethany, you enjoyed Pacific Rim.
2: I really enjoyed
0: it. Riley, you didn't care for it so much. I thought it was, was a lot of potential
1: that wasn't taken advantage of, four and example. it was a great action flick. Give
0: me a four example.
1: I think that the main characters weren't relatable and didn't uh, grow enough mm-hmm. during the film. Okay. All right. That was the main thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What, what was the film advertised to be?
1: Guillermo del Toro has robots fighting sea monsters.
0: Mm-hmm. What did we get in the movie?
1: Uh, Guillermo del Toro fighting sea monsters and robots. Yeah. Well, I mean, not Guillermo del Toro fighting.
0: But right, but mean, yeah.
1: a movie with like, robots fighting yes, giant exactly. monsters.
0: Mm-hmm. Sold. Done. <clears> Works. You The, the thing is, is, is I walked into that movie, and all I wanted to see, sincerely, all I wanted to see, I didn't want the, the angst that comes with anything, and I actually got worried. In the, spoiler alert, in the opening of the movie, the one dude's brother dies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I got worried, oh, this is going to be one of those movies where, you know... You we're going to have to deal with his angst and all this stuff. Not really, not really. He he kind of. Of course, he went away for a while. When he comes back, he he picks someone. He still got it, and they get in. They get into the Jaeger and and work together and and fight monsters. And what we got were some amazing giant robot giant monster fights. Mm-hmm. And well, and I think for me, I. I what I was sold, the bill of goods that I was sold via trailers, commercials, everything else, is what was delivered to me, and I walked out of there saying, this was the best movie I've seen all summer. It, and I, I will confess, I walked out of that movie loving it. And You,
2: you were laughing during yeah, that so movie. I, you so were was, enjoying it.
1: I certainly enjoyed the film, and I think part of me, and and this is, this is going to be like a little psychological exploration into the brain of Riley Blanton for a moment i think for me and i just remembered what i tweeted it was weird and frustrating because i'm a bitter person when it comes to the internet mm-hmm, geek mm-hmm. community yeah i hate it well I, you need like, you need, a, you
0: need the, these are your audience members
1: i hope not so uh no and i don't think they are i think that the
2: who, who is they when you're when i say about them? they
1: it is a very general form but it's it's Wow, I'm about to describe myself. It's people who mm-hmm. does, who critique without creating, and they happen to call themselves geeks. That's if you, if I wanted to do that, people, I, and, and so. so basically, it's they, the, they
2: fancy themselves it's the, red the letter tomatoes medias of the world.
1: Where mm-hmm. it's it, there's this weird uh, bandwagon culture that we have on the internet. Where for some reason, everyone decided Pacific Rim's going to be the movie everybody gets behind and goes sees. We're all on the bandwagon. It's going to be amazing, and it was a great action flick but it's weird to me it's like these are the same people who trash Michael Bay's Transformers and mm-hmm. he doesn't sell an in-depth character story in Transformers but for some reason <clears> there's <throat> some element of where the bandwagon of all right we're deciding that the prequels mm-hmm. suck and well, now me, the, it, it's like we're deciding sure. that this film be the film is basically the
2: popularity thing. aspect of it's popular to hate or and then love i just realized am something?
0: i being a contrarian hipster in which case i hate myself yeah, now yeah <laughs> i think you are i think you are i no i don't think you are i think i think I think you're trying to take up a losing cause though. I think that, I think that <laughs> I just you, need to let it go. I do. I yeah. think you do. I think I think that what what, you, what will best serve Here, you in your oh. oh. Well, I think what will best serve you in in your internet exploits if I can give you a little sage advice. Let's do it. From a fat guy. Is just like what you like and be happy to like what you like. Don't try to come at the trolls because you're going because you're going to in you can't essence, win. become one. You're going to become the thing that you hate. And when when you start going down that path, because you're eventually going to start trolling these people, and, and trying to make them see your point of view, and it's just not going to happen. It's that it's the thing we were talking about all fair last night, where when you sit down with people at a table of ideas, generally they come with their preconceived ideas, and they're going to be unbudging. Um, as it, I will tell you this, I'll tell you why Pacific Rim was more well received than the Transformers, though the idea of giant robots and giant monsters fighting is not original. The characterizations, the the designs of the robots and monsters were original. They were original people. It was not a story based on something else. Transformers had behind it 20 plus years, almost 30 years of a fan base who, a rabid fan base, a rabid Transformers fan base. Myself, I'm not a rabid Transformers fan, but I loved the Transformers as a child Mm-hmm. And when that first movie came out, when, when, he transform, when Optimus Prime pulls up and transforms for the first time and he says, I am Optimus Prime. I'm like, you darn skippy you are. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. And I wasn't keen on some of the designs, but I think what people have a problem with is the fact that Michael Bay, what he does great is big, huge action sequences. And explosions, and it's like this movie should have been perfect for him and his team, but they crafted a story. I think they had too much humanity in it. I think they tried to put too much people in it, too many people, and they tried to make things too funny and light with the wrong kind of humor. You know, where dude's standing there in his Sector Seven underwear, and mm-hmm. John Turturro is a better actor than that. You know, John Turturro is is an incredible actor and deserves more than an underwear scene. You know, where he's been yeah. getting peed on by. A robot, you know, getting lubricated on by a robot. I just, and so I think some people had issues with that. In the second one, there was a the whole thing where people were saying there were two Autobots that were racist. The third one, if anyone complains about the third one, you're an idiot. Um, I <laughs> absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Have you seen the third one? I've only seen the first two. <laughs> I've
2: not seen any.
3: What?
0: huh that's fine, Bethany. You're a girl. I don't expect you to see the transformation. But I movie. love Pacific Rim. Let me tell you. Oh, let me tell you something. Spoil. Mm, I can't spoil the third because it's such a great moment that I would not want to spoil it for you. And I literally, in the theater, stood up and cheered. Um, I mean, literally, came out of my seat and was like, "Yes!" Um, just because it was. Oh, I just. And so I got. I love the Transformers movies, but I do understand why people had problems with them. I look at them. And I'm like, I see why you had issues with this, and I see why you didn't like this this situation, the the, the Superman thing, because what you were directly referencing in your tweet, and I, and that's when you're talking about where you said it, it, it kind of amazed you that people were loving Pacific Rim and it had just as much CGI or overabundance of CGI as like Man of Steel or whatever. Mm-hmm. The Man of Steel thing, I really think comes from an expectation of what Superman's supposed to be. Sure. And and I think that people expected a more personal Superman in a lot of the things that he did. And Derek and I talked about this on our Man of Steel conversation. What Pacific Rim was, for all intents and purposes, again, Transformers. When you go back and watch those trailers, it's this is going to be robots fighting robots, transforming into cars and machines. And what you get is. Shia LaBeouf in love with Megan Fox, trying to impress her, you know, some little comic bits in between. Um, With Pacific Rim, you got, from the get-go, giant robots fighting giant monsters with a story, and then you got that amazing, amazing speech. Today, we are canceling the apocalypse. Oh, I, mean, I love that. We, uh, and two, I, I had the I had the distinct joy, and I mean that literally. I had the distinct joy of watching that movie with a ten year old kid, and the only way watching that movie could have been better is had Jason Swank been on the other side of it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but watching that movie with a ten year old kid who was getting genuinely excited he was paying such close attention to everything because when we got through he's like which one was your favorite Jaeger I'm like I don't know I said I kind of like you know Gypsy Magic the one that was there throughout the whole thing I said but mm-hmm. that one from Japan was pretty no. awesome he's like yeah mm-hmm. and we got to see the thunderstorm formation which was cool I was hoping we'd get to see that with the th- and I'm like <laughs> <laughs> thunderstorm formation. how does he know this well because it, they say it briefly he's like thunderstorm formation and then the third arm comes oh, up oh yeah yeah, I remember like, it now he just completely picked up that little minor detail I'm like oh it's a little geek I love him and, um, <laughs> and to see how excited he's like that's the best movie I've seen in like two years you know and I'm like, it's the best movie I've seen all summer. And it really, I mean, I have had much more fun with it. I came out more elated mm-hmm. having seen that than I did with Superman. When I came out with Superman, I was like, did I like this? Did I not like this? What's going on? And and I just, I, I loved it. I
2: really did like that movie. And, yeah. and I think, again, I had no expectations going into it. I had no I've read all three Lord of the Rings before seeing Lord of the Rings Mm -hmm. movies. I've... You know, there's so much hype in Man of Steel that you you go into it with certain expectations. As somebody... But... Oh, go ahead. But... I do think Pacific Rim did have a solid set of characters. It's just the characters were not the focal point of the movie. It's kind of like the opposite of the way that the Star Wars movies are, that their story is told, mm-hmm. where it's well, the story of Anakin Skywalker and, see, and the Skywalkers. Pacific Rim is the story of the battles, but you see the characters too.
1: Well, and I actually disagree on one count, and there was one character I felt was well-developed who we were supposed to hate, but by the end of the film it was the kid. Who, who went in and sacrificed himself at the end. Again, spoiler alert. Post, like, pre-spoiler alert. But the the way... He, he actually had a great character arc, but I felt like... The main character this? Uh, it was the, uh, the Australian kid, the son. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I felt like he had a great character arc, yeah. and I was engaged and interested in him, hmm. but I, w- but that was not the case with the main character. But again, um, well, if see, I'm going in... I, I, I was going in probably with the wrong expectations, and frankly, it wasn't as much going in as coming out... Uh, being influenced by. See, I, and I, you know. I,
2: thought it was odd to me to hear you talk about it afterwards because I was sitting next to you in that movie, and you were having a good time. I don't mm-hmm. care what you say, you were having a good time. See,
0: you got, you got to start avoiding the trolls on the internet. I realm. do, that's, I do. I mean, that's my say. I mean, that's take away. Steve was right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Where's, the Where's it at? Where's the soundboard? I can't get to it fast enough. Jason Swing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the the thing is, and you said it. There's some great characters in the film, but they're very static characters. Mm-hmm. There there are no real dynamic characters in the movie. You're right. The one Australian kid, you know, who who comes around and ends up spoiler alert, you know, in the in the one in the bottom of the ocean at the end with the with the guy. And two, um, the one of the doctors, you know, the silly doctor comes around and ends up drifting with. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the dude. Into, that was you know, but it's yeah. just a funny story arc, yeah. and it's funny. But I don't. Well, also, but in a movie like this, I don't think characters are supposed to change and be dynamic. Yeah. I think the point of these characters is here is this established person. Here's who they are, and then what you get to see with like the Australian guy is at his core, he's still a good person. Yeah, he might not trust this dude. He might not want this dude. You know,
2: well, else. he's he's rather full of himself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I uh, mean, at, I,
1: it would have been much worse if he didn't have Crocodile Dundee for a father, which was good. <laughs> Love it. But yeah. what, one
2: thing about that film is if you look at it from an in-universe perspective, that is a relentless thing to face. You don't have time to focus on your own angst or your own mm-hmm. problems because your, In world, your world is being torn apart. So you have to focus on and that. And as far as like a world but, building, and and from from a movie perspective, the movie itself is pretty relentless too. I mean, you just have monster after monster act Oh it's my like, gosh! it's I like the, go it's like again. the Battlestar it again. Yeah, I
0: just I just want to go watch it again. I mean, that's so
2: do I. It was
0: so good. Do you you last night you were asking me about Harrison Ford and the Expendables snippet? Harrison Ford is going to be in the Expendables oh. today. Amazing. All right. <laughs> but anyhow. Did you like the Expendables films? Did you like those movies? I've only seen one. Okay. Uh, and I've seen yes. both. I, I awesome. enjoyed them. Okay, they were no, fun. I love it. I mean, you look at those movies. There's no character development in those movies. That, you're, okay, guilty. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's guilty. just an action film for action film's sake. And the thing is, I think we need to come to a point in our geek culture where that's okay. You know, it's okay that we had a Superman film that was relentless at the end with its action. It it really is okay that we had Superman and Zod slugging it out and buildings being destroyed. It might be uncomfortable and it might not be your preference, but it's okay. Because sometimes entertainment is just mindless entertainment. And we and we we lay these expectations on the ground at at certain characters or certain genres or certain types of things because we want to have those Star Wars esque conversations. We want to be able to pick it apart and, and say, well, here are the layers. You know, we, we want to be able to... But at the end of the day, sometimes it just has to be flat out fun. I'll
2: pose a question to both of you. Do you think geeks are becoming snobby?
0: I do. I think geeks have always been snobby. I think what it is, <laughs> is is growing up, if, you, if you've been a geek before geek culture was, was the vogue, was in vogue and, and is the cool thing... Um, I think that you felt like an outcast. People felt like they were kind of on the outside of something. And now that it's kind of come and it's in the mainstream, it's like, well, I've always done, I've always known this. You know, I I know about, you want to ask me about Wolverine? I'll tell you all about him. You think that movie was something? No. (laughs) That has nothing on the comic book. You need to read issues four through nine of The Wolverine. But you probably can't afford them because they're very valuable. But I have them in my collection. You know, (laughs) I, I feel like, and there is that attitude of... And any time someone... Think about it. If you know more than someone and you can't control your own like ego about it, you're going to kind of show off a little bit. You know? Is it is it showing off when a bird flies? Wait, you've not seen that movie to know that that's a Superman reference that I just made. Um but i think i do i think they get i think geeks get kind of snobby you, i mean you have a problem that i haven't seen that movie like I do. are you better than me <laughs> <laughs> yeah i am riley
2: uh, riley what do you I think i mean i'm no
0: jason swank but <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> but i yeah i mean i do, i do i do think that there's a there's a, a culture of snobbery in geekdom and i think it manifests itself in the most heinous ways online riley
3: hmm.
0: absolutely I don't think that, I mean, it's kind of like John Williams. It
1: doesn't need, need nothing else needs to be yeah. said. It's And it's something that I uh, have been guilty of many mm-hmm. times uh, on and off air. And it's something you have to keep in check. And I think that if you wanted to take away something from this, especially my Pacific Rim experience, uh, is, yeah, it's okay just to have a fun movie without having to have... Lord of the Rings as long as, for characters. As long as that's the bill
0: of goods you're sold. Yeah. I mean, if if they'd have sold, if they'd have said, if, if I'd have heard in all these interviews, and I did hear people say, he's got good characters, and that's actually a good story, as much as it is this visual thing. But no one ever said, this is the next, I'm sorry, when James Cameron was making Avatar, and whenever, they were saying, this is the next Star Wars. We this just saw that for the first time last week, actually. And I'm like, this is not the next Star Wars, this is Ferngully. <laughs> you know, is. This is not the next Star Wars. This is Ernest Goes to Camp only Not Funny. And 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 I'm like, don't set yourself up. Don't put those expectations out there because you're not gonna meet them. Yeah. And what Pacific Rim did in its in its presentation was I'm a Gomero del Toro and I'm a gonna make a movie that's just a robot to fight in the monsters. That's my terrible. Is he Italian now? I I don't know what he is. Is he Spanish? (laughs) Yes. yes. Stay thirsty, my friends. Um, Del Toro. (laughs) Del Toro. I I do. I think, and I think that's what the key was: is that there was no. We're going to really explore the ecological significance of what these monsters mean, and this is a. We're not going to explore the spiritual, the spiritual life of how the trees are connected. on the planet. We're not going to try to. They never tried to make the monsters good guys. It was almost an Independence Day plot. You know that was weird, mm-hmm. and that that that's unusual. Like yeah. it wasn't that layering was, of right. There was never trying to make us sympathize with any the, monster at all. It was the like, aliens just needed another world. They just right. It's they need another world because that's what they do. And it was a very Independence Day kind of feel. Well, and see the greatest flaw of um,
1: what I love about Star Wars in many ways is that people of all religions and political persuasions claim it as their as right as evidence. Avatar, you can't do that. It has a very specific. Uh, oh yeah, you're a tree hugger. Philosophy, yeah. philosophy, and you can agree with it or not. But everyone would agree that James Cameron has a very specific philosophy, <laughs> and agenda is the wrong word because it's just his the way his storytelling mm-hmm. it comes through in the film, and whether you value that or not, it's just different. You yeah. can't it can't be as mainstream and it can't be as as universally loved because it it cuts off mm-hmm. you know those who would disagree with that and and i saw it on comingsoon.net last week where they've got 2 3 and 4 all scheduled 20 what is it 15 16 17 sequentially. and they're going to film them all for, in a row avatar. for avatar yeah they just and they just announced that so james I, cameron's going to be busy the next couple of years well i just gotta
0: say i'm not excited about it at all i mean
1: and, and, i mean I, it's for me i'm as excited as i am for pacific rim
0: 2 in that it's going to be amazing visuals i'm sure but uh, yeah it's it's not it's not star wars that's not a world i'm looking forward to revisiting you know i mean i can take it or leave it um, Pacific Rim Two, however, I'm hoping, and I'm disappointed that it didn't make the money, and I think that shows it's not just, mainstream. Yeah, just, just how not mainstream it is for all the stuff that's set online. A lot of times you can't put a lot of stock in that. And I think people it's like forget snakes that. on a
1: plane syndrome, where yeah. it
0: has all the buzz, but mm-hmm. um, I think a lot. Well, I mean, it still did good at the box office, but it's just sure. not, you know, it's not as good as I think they hoped it would be. Mm-hmm. But it, to me though, you you can't go wrong by making more movies like that. It had a very 80s movie feel to it in as much as some of my favorite movies. It's like, here are your characters. They're very static. And, you know, it's just going to be a fun romp. It's going to be a fun ride. And I, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. We, we've kind of hit this place where, like I said earlier, where I think people feel like there needs to be something deeper. There needs to be yeah. something more. And it's like, no, there doesn't. Because then it, you get Avatar. Right. <laughs> it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the thing, uh, again, Avatar, Ernest goes to camp. And, and that's my geek snobbery coming through, I know sure but I, but I said back when it came out it it was like locker room talk don't don't run your mouth before the big game mm-hmm. because you're gonna you're either you're gonna make the other team mad and they're gonna play harder or you're gonna raise the expectations for your fans and if something goes wrong then you you know just keep your mouth shut put out the product and let people experience it for themselves and uh and avatar made a lot of money because it was kind of new the whole 3d technology they use and that sort of thing but Mm-hmm. Uh, this time around, when they come back out, it's not going to be anything. I don't think it's going to be anything yeah. super special. That's well, gonna... and, it, and
1: you can't argue just from sheer box office numbers that it resonated with people, but not in the not in the same way culturally that Star Wars does. Um,
0: I don't think it resonated with the same way with people culturally that Titanic did. You know, I mean that for that it I think it moved Titanic out of the number one spot for a little bit there and and I don't think it resonated culturally the way that Titanic did. Titanic resonated in a in a deeper level, I think because of the love story because I mean it it got the teeny boppers, it got the ladies, and you know and and then you also had these amazing effects and stuff. so. Um, and it definitely didn't resonate culturally the way Star Wars did. There's no Avatar conventions being held. No one's looking forward to Avatar Celebration, Anaheim. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but yeah, and that's my geek snobbery coming thing. You mentioned geek snobbery. And, and I've been called out before. There's, I have iTunes reviews that like, I really enjoyed this until the host started dogging on Joss Whedon. You know? <laughs> well, he says it's a safe place to geek out. I sure am glad I didn't send my geek story in, you know? And I'm like, look, I dog on Joss Whedon because he killed one of my favorite characters in a series in a short-lived series that I've really kind of gotten into, and then I realized he did that a lot, and it really irked me. Um, I I don't the cult of personality that's grown up around him. I'm not a big fan of, but most of what I say is joking when it comes to stuff like, when I say it's a safe place to geek out on anything but Star Trek, dot, 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 and Twilight, <laughs> you know, I, I mean it about Twilight, but Star, but Star <laughs> Trek, you know, I'll talk, I can, st- I can talk Star Trek with people, you know, mm. and, uh, and, and so I think that, um, you know, so understand that this is a safe place to geek out except about Star Trek, Twilight, and Avatar. So, <laughs> having, well said, having said that, a lot of times I have to eat my words on this show. Mm-hmm. And that never happens in podcasting. No, today we're actually going to have a discussion mm-hmm. about something on uh, about which I had to eat my words. And when I started, oh, yeah, yeah, and when I started watching this series, you about, know who
2: doesn't eat his words?
0: Who's that? Jason, Jason Swank. He never has to. He always says just the right thing at just the right time. The adventurous angel, Jason Swank. Um okay. He, he <laughs> the. Uh, when I started, when I got into the show, a couple of about midway through the series, I texted Riley. I'm like, "You guys like BSG, right?" And he's like, "Yeah, we do." I'm mm-hmm. like, "All right, well, this is well." Over, and I want to pause for a moment there. Yeah, I, re- I get the ding on the phone and I say, "Hey, uh, you, guys like BS-
1: you guys like BSG, right?" And I was like, "I wonder, hmm, because the, B- BSG, the new series, is is weird in a way that." If you like it, it seems like you really, really get right, star right, right, Battlestar right, right. And so I was like, did it happen? Did because I, I will confess, I watched the mini series, and I was, and I was like, I'm sold. This is yeah. amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is remarkable. I was not sold, and I know that was because you had talked yeah. about it before us. So I was like, if you don't like it, you're probably not going to get into it. Right. So I was, like,
0: so I was legitimately confused. So yeah. con- continue. And so, and so I sent you this, and you're like, yeah, we are. I'm like, well you guys are coming on to talk about like i didn't even ask i said you and bethany are coming on to talk battlestar galactica and and that's what we're going to do on this episode we're going to do a little battlestar talk for all the battlestars. so we're going
1: to start recording now right for all
0: the yeah we're <laughs> going to start recording we're going to start recording now it's done
2: no not now not ever yeah.
4: You hear me? I will use every cannon, every bomb, every bullet, every weapon I have down to my own eye teeth to end you. I swear it, I'm coming for all of you.
0: And now i mean like two hours later from what we said um you have no idea but between the, the you the listening audience has no idea but between the word now and and there's about two hours time <laughs> yes <laughs> and uh and we have eaten lunch we have played the piano and we've done a photo shoot mm-hmm. so snippet <laughs> photo shoot with dandelion photographies on uh sabrina burnett I call her Pinky. She's been on the show before. Like Dandelion Photography on Facebook and uh, tell her that you heard about her on Geek Out Loud and with her friends Riley and Bethany and Steve. So, having said that, Battle Star Galactica. Um, you, you mentioned already, Riley, you knew you'd heard me talk about it before. Don't pull up music. You knew you'd heard me talk about it before that uh, that I had watched the miniseries that originally aired on Sci-Fi Was not a fan and I tried to actually watch it a second time thinking well maybe it, everyone says it's so good maybe I couldn't get into it then um, I discovered Fatboy Roberts I've mentioned him several times on the last few podcasts because a lot of people are asking where we got the uh, the mashup between the Hans Zimmer and the John Williams music from and I got that mm-hmm. from geekremixed.com geekremixed.com DJ Fatboy Roberts uh, had, has remixed a lot of different tracks those being two of them and on and along with these albums that he has for free on his website, there's a podcast you can go download where he walks through each of the albums and each of the tracks and talks about where why he'd made them or where they came from, that sort of thing. Not necessarily family friendly uh, material when he's talking and stuff, but, uh, but good music nonetheless. And one of the things he did is a track called Five. I don't know why it's called Five, but well I do know why it's called Five. You do now. I do now. Hmm. And it starts with President Laura Roslin and her speech when there was a mutiny aboard uh, Galactica. And uh, she basically says, no, no. And she just goes off. You know, I will use every resource, every weapon, every bullet at
2: my disposal.
0: And I don't know what she says. Down to my own something.
2: Eye I-T. teeth.
0: Eye teeth. What is that?
2: I I don't know. I don't it's either. an old saying. Kind of new yeah.
0: Apple product. Well, yeah, it. <laughs> so, it chews your food for you. Jason Swink thought of it. Um, <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> and uh, and and he and he was talking about the story. And I don't want to spoil too much because I would have liked to have discovered this on my own. But had I not known this was in there. Um, you know what? Spoilers. We're going yeah. to spoil the crap out of Battlestar Galactica yeah. right if now. So if you, if you are interested in watching the series and you never had, turn away. Sure. Please, um,
2: please. This is not a series to spoil.
0: But he mentioned the use of the song All Along the Watchtower in Battlestar Galactica. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, that's pretty cool. I like All Along the Watchtower. Um, and so I was like, I have to get to that point. But then my goal became get to the point where that song is used. Oh, you had to wait. <laughs> it, I did. I did. Yeah. And I'm like, is it... And I, I need to see if it's going to be worth it. So what I did is, having seen... Having sat through the miniseries, which I'm sorry, still doesn't capture me at all. Okay. That, that I mean, even after what I've seen, I'm like, I don't know how anyone got into this based on this miniseries. But the third episode, or what is called episode three, on Netflix, which would be kind of, I guess, the first episode of the series proper.
1: That was like 33, right? The... The uh, where they had the specific intervals of time between the silence pursuing them, as Might I have recall, been. yeah, Might have have
0: been. that was the it, one. It, yeah. And uh, from that point, sucked in and sold. I was on board with Battlestar Galactica. The um, and and so it was not a problem to get to all along the Watchtower at the end of season three, which was mind. Blowing like I, I had no idea leading up that mm. not only was the song going to be used, but it was going to be used around some mind-blowing events in the story, mm-hmm. and by mind-blowing I mean like reality altered, changed my life, yeah, in 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 ways that I can't explain when I saw those people standing around to that song. Mm. And um, it's in the frakkin' ship. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's talk BSG. My first. Um, well, let's talk about you guys. What? How did you come into the, the Battlestar camp? How how did you discover Battlestar Galactica?
2: See, this is... The a... year <laughs>
0: was 2000. <laughs> I
2: was about to say, Riley, Riley. Riley. Riley kind of pulled me into this series.
1: Really? I'm trying to remember. Well, it was originally the... Um, the 1980 version okay. that, mm-hmm. that we would, uh, we went to our grandmother's house this and see this is is when Wars. they
0: were on Earth. Yes, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs>
1: Riding their little motorcycle. And, we, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was awesome. Uh, and this is a frame of mind of, uh, this is 2003, I want to say, mm-hmm. 2002. This is before Riley or Bethany have ever seen a Star Wars movie. Yep. And we were watching this because we hadn't seen a Star Wars movie and we could see this. So we're like, okay, well, we can watch this. And it's kind of like Star Wars, and it has a great theme song. And uh, It does have a dun- great theme song. <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, but, and so that was our first exposure to it, and I actually really enjoyed it because it was a glimmer, a glimpse, a taste of what I thought Star Wars might be It was be fun,
2: and it was adventurous, and uh, it was cheesy as anything, but
1: Well, you know fun. the Star Wars well, connection. And about Pa it. from was in it, and yeah. we watched Bonanza <laughs> a ton okay, growing up. Lauren Green? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: You know the you know the connection between Battlestar and Star Wars, don't you? Well, I know there was lawsuits involved. I don't know a whole history
1: of it. I though. want to say
0: that Ralph McQuarrie did some concept art for Battlestar. I heard that, yeah. yeah. And uh, and it was, I mean, it was definitely a reaction to the Star Wars craze. It mm-hmm. was typical studio. Let's capitalize Star on, Wars with wires. Basically. Yeah, let's let's capitalize on. But to be fair. The effects weren't that bad for a 1970s TV show, late mm-hmm. 1970s TV show. They mm-hmm. they actually pulled off some stuff, and and that translates then into the more recent Battlestar Incarnation, where the effects were amazing for a sci-fi. Team. Oh man, you know, for any television show, much less one that was aired on sci-fi on the sci-fi network. Yeah.
1: Like when that when Lucas was saying we, we it's too expensive to do a Star Wars live action series, I was thinking no, it's not.
0: I mean, we we would do more. I'm than I'm thinking, what do you want to do? Yeah, that, you know, yeah. obviously, you're. He's wanting to do some amazing sure. things, and so, um, but yeah, definitely, it, I was blown away by it. But that original Battlestar was it was, it was as captivating in some senses as Star Wars was, just because it was Star Wars on TV, and yeah. and for all intents and purposes, whatever. I don't I don't know all the behind the scenes stuff with lawsuits. I just remember Battlestar Galactica being a part of my childhood, not as big as Star Wars. But I was always aware of Battlestar Galactica. I always love the fact that Dirk Benedict, who played um, Starbuck in the original Battlestar and went on to play Face on the A-Team, as the opening credits, the A-Team are rolling. A Cylon I walks know. by. Walks by Dirk Benedict. <laughs> it, if we
2: watched some A-Team episodes as well. And when we saw that Cylon, Oh, it's a
3: Cylon! It's a Cylon!
0: <laughs> so by your command. Yes. Oh, listen, man. I'm all about that. I'm all about the Cylons and... And what they were in, in the old school thing people in suits and that sort of stuff um and and maybe that was some of my disappointment with with the new battle star initially was really human looking cylons i'm not really a fan mm-hmm. you know we didn't get to see because in that initial episode um during one you know rather passionate act you see the light go up and down Trisha Helfer's spine. Oh yeah, yeah. And I was really hoping for more things like that where you would see the Cylon influences through the translucent of their skin, but they really worked hard to make them more human like as as time went on in the series. But having said all that, I, I just I love the concept of the original Battlestar Galactica. I mean the the, mm-hmm. the Raiders were basically flying saucers that were piloted yeah. by the Cylons. Uh, Baltar was, you know, this evil wicked man that was in league with the Cylons. It was clear cut, good and evil. There yeah. was none of this blurred lines blurred lines. Um there was none of there was none of this, you know, stuff and um and I just remember it so funny. There was a robot dog. Yeah, I remember. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh and Boxy was the kid that was the, the, the entry point for all the kids um in, in the original Battlestar. He had a much more prominent role than he did in the one episode he was in on uh Battlestar on the new yeah. show. And and obviously, they, they were going a different route. They were going a different direction than what Battlestar was, and that was just a way to kind of throw a bone to the fans of old. Yeah. So I'll never forget in that original series, and it may,
1: may have even been a rerun of the original series before 1980, of a uh, sequence of three episodes that they aired sequentially that were the storyline where part of the uh, oxygen is lost in one uh, area of the uh, Galactica. And this is back in the original series. They do something very similar. They again. do, yeah. I was thinking, but, and I remember that from the uh, old series. And uh, Pa, you pointed to cut Lauren Green and <laughs> Adama, uh, has to make the choice to chop off oxygen. Uh, and that was that was tough stuff to watch yeah, as a kid yeah. on television. Um, frank, frankly, because we were we were watching it because it was more tame than Star Wars way back then when we were watching those reruns. Uh, although I think in some ways it wasn't.
0: No, um, I mean it was it was it was episodic television. And, uh, and I don't know, but the thing is, in the late 70s, episodic television, the consequences weren't that severe for mm-hmm. things that, like that. You know, you wouldn't mm-hmm. see the bodies flying out into space, you know, in the vacuum yeah. of space or that sort of thing. You just, you wouldn't spend, you know, a few minutes in on them dying. It was just like, we missed them. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a very clean and done kind of thing back in the 70s. So, um... So you guys watched that, watch back of all things, Battlestar 1980. Oh, yeah. Um, yes. At your grandmother's house. How'd you come into Sci-Fi's show? Because everybody kept talking about it. Mm-hmm. You probably relate as to we've this. we've already discussed in the, earlier in this episode, mm-hmm. you really, you kind of give in to the old internet pressure sometimes, I'm, Riley. Like, I'm making a lot of discoveries
1: here on this episode <laughs> of Geek Out Loud. A lot of self-introspection. Sure. Um, no, it's because people... Kept talk- wh- whom I respected their opinion on, on entertainment properties, kept talking about how amazing the series is. And so I, I eventually gave in and was like, we should watch this. So it was um, two summers ago when we first started it. It would have been summer 2011. Uh, late in the summer, not a whole lot was going on. And Bethany and I started watching the episodes, uh, just usually one, one, two, maybe three at mm-hmm. a time on mm-hmm. afternoons where we weren't doing much. And we just kept watching them and kept watching them and kept watching them. And it, you're right. I, for for me it was the miniseries. The miniseries actually did uh, sell me. And yeah, we we can touch too. on that in a minute, but and then we get we got all the way up to Labor Day weekend where we were going to Dragon Con for the first time and we were so into the series by this point Bethany's like, I've got a great idea. Yes we do a Star Wars podcast Let's forget about that and just go interview anybody we want to do. I've mentioned this on the show before, but like yeah. we, we use the Star Wars report as a miserable excuse to say, "All right, we're gonna just are you in Lord of the Excellent? All right, well, if we Battlestar Gli Let's come on our show." <laughs> and then like the weird look that Edward James almost gives you when he said, "Yes, it's the Star Wars report." When he's gonna do a plug for you.
3: <laughs> like the,
0: he's like, "Is this a prank or something?" <laughs> I want to. I want in a minute talk to you guys about some of the people we've interviewed, but sure, um, sure. But
1: and so that was kind of the the, the progress of it, and then we finished it. Uh, uh, shortly there, and and it was fascinating because that pause, we got to talk to a lot of the stars of the show, mm-hmm. and but the new angle was finished the show. we didn't know who was or wasn't a Cylon. So mm. it was my running gag; I just went around asking each of the actors if they were a Cylon, and they wouldn't tell me. Uh, unfortunately, was, oh wow, I
0: was kind of scared like they would so, spoil it. Anyway. So you explain them you haven't watched yes, the whole series yeah. yet. And you, I mean, because it was over at this point. The series had ended on sci-fi years ago. Yeah, yeah. and and so you went around asking them. I was like, I'm in the oh, middle yes. of the series, haven't finished it. And they were and, and then they, they were w- respectful to say, No, I'm not going to tell you that. They would, yes, and they would light up
1: at the fact that I wasn't like. So in this one episode, when your character says this, what did you think of that? Because that was the questions mm-hmm. they always get at the panel. Right. And they're like, you mean these people haven't seen the show? And that's one thing that the the talent i think the reason why the characters and we'll get into it a lot more but the reason why the characters why the story i think we find so compelling about this this series is the team behind it Mm -hmm. which includes the actors which includes ronald moore those guys are some really serious creative talent and Mm -hmm. it comes it it shows when you talk to them Mm -hmm.
2: well and it was it was hilarious too because okay who was the man who played salt
1: uh, Michael Hogan. Yes. Yeah, Michael Colonel Hogan. Kai.
2: Michael Hogan and Edward James Olmos, who, who played Admiral, who, who played Admiral Adama. They both messed with us like oh, yeah. that whole convention. Anytime maybe we I stopped am. by to talk, maybe, maybe I am I'm a Cylon. Not. Maybe I'm not a Cylon. You don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Bless their hearts.
2: <laughs> so, and then one uh, of the, and then again, spoilers. One of them was and when we saw right, that right. scene. Where, he totally was a Cylon, and he went back and forth between saying he was and he wasn't, and we didn't know whether to believe
0: him. I love, I love the fact that Michael Hogan's portrayal of Saul mm. Ty oh. got more and more gruff as a series. Like by the time, mm-hmm. and 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 he had even had the look when they were on New Caprica. He had the look of a salty old sailor, you know, I and know. he's talking like a salty, and he's got the Popeye thing going, nope. you know, now. He's like... <laughs> 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 and I, just, I was just like, he really is just playing, and he'd get more rough, and then... It's in the... Fr- you. Yeah, you do it. You know, it's <laughs> in the frackin' ship. And so, in Frack gives us an excuse to... <laughs>
2: yes, it does. Completely does.
0: Yeah. So... so so you were hooked. You guys were hooked by the by the initial miniseries, the two the first two hours of yes, it or whatever. Yes, yes. So so why was that, Bethany?
2: I I was hooked on the miniseries because I could see the promise of what was to come.
0: Mm-hmm. The shape it's of things to
2: come. Exactly. You might say.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> but, shape uh, things right it, it was very intense, actually. That miniseries felt to me in some ways like Pacific Rim does. I mean, it's nonstop intensity. Thirty three. 33, 33, Well, and, and that was just, the first of the series, get, though.
1: Um, the, that that was the first episode, yeah. episode proper of the series, which is oh, where okay. they do lead yeah. into that. Mm-hmm. But I think what you're saying is definitely the case when it comes to the way they portrayed just the imminent threat on humanity. And I found yeah. I find that very compelling, because I think that they did a very good job of showing the enormity of the crime.
0: Yeah, uh, okay. They It was, in, in the original Battlestar, Mm-hmm. Um, when the Cylons attack, and uh, they're celebrating Peace Day. In fact, when the, you know, whereas in, in mm-hmm. the new Battlestar, you know, the big thing it's centered around the uh, the decommissioning of Galactica. Mm-hmm. And in the original Battlestar, the whole of the colonies are celebrating se- peace or celebrating Peace Day. And you and I just the image that stands out most of mine is this reporter standing in front of a bed of flowers that spell out peace. Um, you know, and it was very low budget, very poorly done. And then the Cylons attack, and you know there's a few explosions here and there, but everything's done in the dark. Everything's done in a way. Yeah. Here, you know, you see they pan out to the, from the planet. You see the nuclear explosions yeah. all over the place. You see things happening. Yeah. Um. And there is that imminent threat there, but.
2: And actually,
0: my thing okay. is though it never it moves so slowly, to me. Really? really, those first two episodes they really did seem to move slowly. And, and Actually, the little bit of... I
2: just had a recall, and sorry to completely interrupt, no, but that's fine. we watched the first episode of the first season first. Okay, that's see, why I, that that makes that's sense, why, yes. that's why I was mixing it up. We did, yeah. I'm trying to and remember then, because we didn't know that there was a mini series. Oh, I remember. And then now. we found out that there was a mini series, yeah, we Mark like, Rylman oh,
0: got on, it. he's like, mm-hmm. "Guys, you got to watch the mini series." Got to watch the mini series. Yeah. <laughs> okay, see, All there right. you go. I can totally see why you got hooked in on so, that first episode. You're like, "What happened?" Right, but that mini series to me, moved very slowly. Uh, you knew there was an imminent threat, but there was not much action. It was all the pomp and circumstance, and even the final battle was kind of anticlimactic where they get away. And um, and I didn't like any of the characters. I'm just like, there's no redeeming character at all, except for maybe Admiral Adama himself, or at yeah. that time, Commander Adama. Mm-hmm. And everyone else just... there's it, it, one thing to have character flaws. It's another thing to be all flaws. Yeah, you but know? it's... And that's one well, thing. Guy, I Guys,
2: Baltar is yeah, by, by by the close of the miniseries, you are not a fan. Mm-mm.
0: By the close of the series, I wasn't a fan. I did not. I, I will say, guys, Baltar
2: was just as, as much got, as I got sucked. He into, got under my skin yeah. the entire series, yep. and that's one reason he was played brilliantly.
0: Yeah. As as much as I got into the series, there are a lot of issues I have throughout. This, you know, it's one True. of those things where it's like. But it's things I'm... They're not like, oh, I hate it because of this. It's like, well, this is something worth talking about. And that's, sure. you know, and we'll get into some of those things in a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, but yeah, Bethany, you're right. If you guys started out with that yeah. first episode, I totally um. see what... Because I got sucked in by it. I'm like, this is what I want out of Battlestar. You yeah. know, the Vipers launching, the Raiders coming in, the, you know, the how are we going to deal with this threat? What are we going to do? You know, and, and they deal with a lot of different big issues. And that's another thing. I don't like sometimes i have a hard time when i'm watching tv for escapism all of a sudden they bring in we've got to leave behind a you know a, a ship full of people because their light drives aren't ready you know or we can't get them transferred over we're all going to die if we don't leave these people behind or when uh when apollo has to blow up the ship because of um the cylon threat that may be on there and you know, he, mm-hmm. he it's always left ambiguous. Did he see civilians in there or not? You know, uh, in, in, in when he and that, yeah. and that carries with him. And the one thing that's good is the ramifications of each episode to episode that carried with the characters, mm-hmm. you know, the characters in and They'll even be brought up two seasons later, later in some instances. Yeah.
2: But, which which, Steve, mm-hmm. this is why I like Iron Man three, because you see yeah. that with <laughs> Tony Stark call back to an earlier conversation off call air call back to an
0: earlier conversation in, during the two words um, again let me go back to this <laughs> I loved everything about Iron Man 3 but the twist ruined it for me and and I know that it shouldn't have. in my mind as an intellectual individual I know that I shouldn't have such an emotional visceral response to this twist because everything is handled so well and I love the characterization of Tony Stark in Iron Man 3 mm-hmm. but because of that twist I just hate the movie period and that, and I know it's it's illogical, it's irrational, and it's not smart, but I stand by my emotions. <laughs> 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 oh, okay, you're, you're,
1: you're like Obi Wan in Episode Three. We're smarter than this. Yeah, Ray shields.
0: <laughs> Um, the. Uh,
1: but I want to jump really quickly no, on what you mentioned do. on flaws. Um, and that's one thing that. Ron Moore, I kinda get the sense is that he 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 loves and wallows in the idea of character flaws, almost to a fault where it's like, he's let's introduce how horrible can we make these decisions be? To where, to a point, there are different points in the series where I feel like characters dip into an area where they no longer can be a heroic character. And as a Star Wars yeah. fan, mm-hmm. I love a hero that I can right. root for. sure. And pretty much at some point in the series, every character goes through a point where you're, I can't root for this mm-hmm. guy anymore, with the possible exception of Admiral Adama.
0: He comes close. He's he does. Yeah, dangerously he, he close. Comes and close. it comes because of his personal attachment to President Rosalind. Mm-hmm. You know, he and Laura have their relationship that, that is a great. I'm telling you something. Let me tell you mm. what, what relationship in TV I buy into. Adama and Rosalind. Mm. I am a, a, a Razamada. I don't, know, I don't know how you'd ship that. Razmada. Um, Razdama. Um, Raz- I'm a Radama. Radama. <laughs> oh, we there we go, go. There we go. I worked it out. Okay. Huh? Um <laughs> but, <laughs> but I. You're yeah, welcome, Internet. Dude, because they start with the tension of she's just a school teacher. Yeah. And it comes down to and it is that moment and it's in the miniseries. It's in when he says when he looks at the two people talking, he's like, They gotta start making babies. And he decides rather than stand and fight, they're gonna run. They're gonna take the fleet and they're gonna run and they're gonna they're gonna aim for survival more than anything. And 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 that first willingness to say, This lady's got it right and you know, and there's that begins to build a bridge between them that goes from I respect you as president and I respect you as the commander Too we're friends to lovers you know and, uh, <laughs> and 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 there are personal decisions there are things he does that affect the ship that affect the fleet that are based solely on his personal attachment to her um, that's probably the thing in the series to watch was when
1: he really began to emotionally break down I don't I don't even remember at what point but that was yeah. that was rough
2: yeah <laughs> I, I was I was mildly upset by that actually.
0: Mildly, <laughs> when he let, let me tell. You, oh, Whew. there's like a moment where <laughs> take you, a
2: breath, Steve.
0: Well, there's a moment where you think he's dead, or he thinks he Lee thinks he's dead. He thinks Lee is dead after the Pegasus situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they oh guys, like I'm really getting sincerely like emotional about it because it was that powerful to me. Um, And and so, but yeah, he's the one character that he comes dangerously close to to going to the dark side. Even Rosalind, I think, goes over at some points where she just makes decisions that are not good decisions, that are not the decisions of a hero.
2: Um, Well, it's because they they've been placed into such terrible, terrible circumstances where they have to make decisions that where people will die no matter what you do. And you, you're making decisions for the greater good and, and that's that's a pretty dark place to go. Yeah. That's kind of like what Yoda says, to a to dark line of thought.
0: Yeah. You know, yeah. to and, a and dark you know, place. place. And, and the thing is though is is like I like I say, I know that And they
2: they get too used to that, really.
0: And I that's the problem, is they get they get too comfortable with it at, mm-hmm. at some points. And I and I do have issues with that. Uh
2: but really that would almost be expected. If you live in that kind of fear for that long, at some point you adapt to it.
0: Well, making two people think their baby's dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Not, not the nicest thing in the world to do. Yeah. No. I did not like no. that. And I knew. I'm like, this yeah. is going to come back to bite you. You guys are in so much trouble one day. And what makes that series great is that it does. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: yes. Other series I think would... Then justify it or say, right. "Well, they're open." Okay. Yeah,
2: and and things like that happen in real life too. I, I mean, some people call it karma, but secrets are difficult to keep. Yeah, I mean, if you if you out. find it in almost every circle that I've ever been in, when someone tries to keep it secret, it just doesn't work well. It it weighs yeah. on them. It weighs on the people who know. Things come to light, and you really see the consequences of actions. Mm-hmm. in b- the B.S.G. series, whether it's overt or covert.
0: The more you... Know. <laughs> I know, I that.
1: <laughs> well, and that's what, it, when it comes to consequences, I think that's the greatest, if I were to boil it down to one word, the
0: greatest thing about the series is that there are consequences. There are consequences to the action. Yeah. Yeah. In, in a way it, that it doesn't, doesn't happen on television. Mm-hmm. Well, let, me tell you, let me tell you what made me love this show, though, more than anything okay. else. Cylon Raiders versus Vipers. Uh, Battle Stars versus Battle Stars, or Battle Stars versus the War. The what capital are they, ships. What don't. yeah? What do they call the um? Yeah, I can't read. This, yeah, Cylon capital base Ship. ships. Base, yeah. base stars. Battle Stars versus <laughs> the base stars. Um, those kind of things when they had those, because there was one moment I'm watching and there was a, and it was a shot with a huge base star, just kind of in the screen. I can't remember what episode it was from or anything, and it looked like it was really there. And I'm like, this was a show that was on sci-fi. Mm-hmm. This was not on a major network. This is the network that but it, produced it almost Sharknado. Looks like it
2: could have been on the big screen. <laughs>
0: it could have been a movie, and and that's where I walk away and I'm like, and the and you and they do they do smaller episodes that don't require so many special effects. They do smaller episodes that don't require not unlike Clone Wars, actually. not unlike Clone Wars, and not unlike any not unlike any unlike any episodic television show, even Friends. Would have episodes where rather than try to go out or build new sets, it would just be the six of them sitting around the apartment, you know. And those are some of the best episodes that ever were aired because Mm -hmm. you know they'd have some scenario that either they're trying to get to or they're just built around, and it's just the six of them in the apartment, you know. And they and they stay there the whole thirty-minute show. On Battlestar, there are the there are the episodes that just take place strictly on the ship, but you know, a the story is going to be compelling. B they're saving up, you know, for the, big, for the big thing, for the big moment. Yeah. And uh, for the big special effects, the real needs. You know, it was never special effects for special effects' sake. And the only time I ever saw any issues with effects is there were a few times when they'd do some Cylon shots where they'd be out in the um, open, you know, out in the... Like when they were in New Caprica or on Caprica, and you'd see Cylons walking. You could see a little bit of separation from the digital you know characters that were the Cylons and the rest of the world that didn't blend perfectly but that's a minor quibble on a TV show sure. made for the sci-fi network you know it's like you expect to see that level of um uh, of uh, of being off on the special effects but when you get into space and when they're doing their battles Atlanta it's a, it, it's amazing it's not there. I, I can't think of a show that did special effects better have you seen The Plan by any chance or the other mm-hmm. made for
1: TV movies mm-hmm. okay we um our afternoon is oh blocked. the plan is uh it was the lead up to it was the film about the lead up to and then uh Chronicles the Pegasus okay
0: yeah, yeah see in, in on Netflix what they do is they actually include that in season Three or okay. season four. Really? whatever whatever season hmm, after the Pegasus is cool. coming, you know that leader's risen and. And what was the other one? There's the plan and what.
2: I don't remember the other one. I uh, can't. Yeah, the name it's escapes me. Quite a while.
0: I don't know either, Riley. <laughs> That's been a great episode. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I did not watch that. I did not watch the plan, though, because okay. I was ready to get back into the story. Because Gotcha. Was, I was ready to get into what's going on in New Capricorn. And I knew when I saw the description, that's what went on. I'm like, I don't want to know. I don't want to spend any time with these people. These sure. are the people who beat and and, and mistreated and abused. Uh, and I can't believe this, but I was like, these are people who, who were, did horrible things to six, and I don't want any part of them. And I don't care about their story. This is a twisted, messed up group of people who yeah. need to be—you know—they these aren't just people who made tough decisions in hard times. These are people who reveled in making the bad decisions. The Pegasus crew. Yeah. Yeah. And and I had nothing. I had no desire to go spend any time with them. So I've not watched that.
1: Well, I do recommend it. In that it is very—it's no. the same type of storytelling that uh, that I do find very well done. But mm-hmm. it there it, it's exactly what you're describing. Yeah. Uh, but it's still fantastic. In one that, reason why I liked it, it though, is because mythology. it
2: showed what uh, the Galactica could become, right? If it uh, if it went too far,
1: right? It is kind of a cautionary tale of sorts, and it shows you why and how it happened. Yeah. Um, but again, it's not you know it's not the rest of the series. And then the other one was Razor, um, which was the one chronicling. It it ended. If you recall, Bethany, I'm going to skirt this if you haven't seen it, Steve, but it basically ended with with two Cylon individuals, and their conversation, and I believe that was my favorite one. Uh, and it's it's the second made for TV one. It's the most recent one. It came out I think in 2009 or 10, and it was just a made for TV, and it was set in the timeline of the fall of Cap. Okay. So I, bl- if I'm getting the two correct. And again, the, Bethany and I, were we are two who s- have seen the series once. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, in some ways, it seems kind of sacred in that I don't—I want to save it and watch it again all the way through. But, man, it, it's...
0: I'm, I'm Googling Battlestar Razor right now just to... Uh,
1: yeah, get a quick... Just to see what the... Uh,
0: but, yeah, and when the series takes those brief moments to
1: for, of respite... It's not obvious that oh well they didn't have special effects budget they took time to tell other stories that matter like the trial uh, with with the lawyer the trial of Leodama and I thought that was very well very now, well done. Now
0: uh, Razor is set in the past. Okay. And uh, I think this is the one with the Pegasus because Razor is. Ah, uh, is Razor the one with the Pegasus? and I then think so, cause that's who's on the DVD and then Ah, the pl-
1: uh, and the plan is the one I'm thinking of for the... Uh, the
0: plan. The plan may be the one we have to watch. Maybe. I feel like I've seen the plan. I feel like they were all included mm-hmm. in... Well, that would have been more sen- sequential,
1: although it was produced much later, and they had mm-hmm. the same actors playing those parts where it kind of went alongside with the miniseries in terms of the timeline.
0: I have, yeah, They've. I think they include the plan in the way that... Um, it's all
1: part of the plan.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, I do. I, th- I feel like I've seen the plan because it starts with Dean Stockwell. Okay. Yeah, and there's a lot of... I think they might have used them as flashbacks in some of the... In, 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 in re- I don't know, but I, I feel like mm-hmm. I've seen I think seen they
1: use footage from the miniseries as yeah, well. I, so.
0: I, I, I sincerely did not you did not watch at all. The plan is included in season four. Mm-hmm. Like, before you get into what's going on in season four... There's the plan. And I think, well, when did they find New cap? I don't know. There's somewhere in there where it's yeah. broken up, and there's the plan. And yeah. and I intentionally skipped Razor because I did not want to spend any more time on the Pegasus. I did not want to go back to that crew. I, I understood everything I needed to know about them. I didn't need to know anything else. Mm-hmm. They're a bunch of jerks and psychopaths. <laughs> and I have nothing to do with them. And what, what Admiral Kane, I believe, was her name. Yeah. I don't care.
1: Yeah. She <laughs> has, well, no. Uh, I feel like I'm not going to do much convincing, Steve. But I, there, she has a remarkable backstory that explains a lot of how sure. that came to pass.
0: But you know, well, let's talk backstories and let's talk right. about uh, some of our favorite characters in the show. Who, who would you say, Bethany? Um, some of your favorite. Let's do, do three favorite characters from Battlestar Galactica.
2: I would have to say, Starbuck, mm-hmm. and Apollo. Mm-hmm. Oh goodness. And, and I'd have to go with uh, Admiral Adama and with uh, Saul Ty.
0: Oh, really? Mm-hmm. You
1: like You like the Colonel? I, I had oh, a running joke when we were watching the series is that just Colonel Ty for me, got more progressively awesome as the series went on, as he kept making decisions that were harder and harder and kept trying to do the right thing, mm-hmm. uh, especially during some of the flashback ep- episodes where they showed his recovery. And I, just, I would periodically in episodes just look over at Bethany and say, proving once again that... Colonel Ty is awesome,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then the next day I'm proving once again. <laughs> I yeah. I appreciated Colonel Ty's friendship with Adama, and I appreciated mm-hmm. that Adama counted him as a friend regardless. And and I knew what that meant. I that relationship the two the relationship those two shared I completely understood and appreciated. I never cared for Colonel Ty though, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um, and I just I always expected sure be wasn't he wasn't his, was his a wife, hit. but uh, Apollo. Didn't like a wife at all. <laughs>
2: Uh, I Apollo on I I actually I would have put as further back on the list oh, yeah? truthfully yeah but and, and I did like Roslyn. I kept um,
0: waiting for the moment when Apollo would step up
2: Yeah but it just, never be, came and it
0: never came it never no. happened Um mm-hmm. I kept waiting for that moment when he would just step up and do the typical you know thing you expect out of a TV show where he's been he's been waiting you know it's just been holding in holding in holding boom here yeah. he is. He's superhero man now, you know, and just doing his thing. He did but
2: have... it's it's as if he can never quite get over the yeah, things right. that have well, happened. and he
1: did have that moment at the end of season two or beginning of season three. I'm trying to remember when the it was after the Cylon op- occupation, and he takes he's in command of the Pegasus mm-hmm. and saves the day. Mm-hmm. It, but that it kind of I think the writers reverted back to the old uh, Apollo after that. Well, because then he was it, it was oh my god. Okay. Was not oh, that wasn't that good. Uh, I mean, yeah. Like, it was- <laughs> I, that's one of the rare moments watching television. <laughs> uh, Bethany can attest to this. That was one of the rare moments in television where I stood up and cheered. Dude. I I do that in theaters. Rarely watching my TV while I stand up and uh, cheer.
0: Mm, I, look, oh gee whiz, that's the moment I'm talking about though. When when it, when he lands on Galactica and Adama comes up to him and hugs him, and I mean, it's just like, oh, but but, but, but everything that leads up to that is so awesome. And, that, and you're right, but I also think that it speaks of the character of Lee Adama that when he's back on the Battlestar Galactica underneath Bill Adama, that there's still some things that, you know, are there. I always waited for them to have a real true moment of, and they did have a few, but I always wanted there to be, all right, let's just sit down and talk it out, guys. You know, come on. Come on, guys. Let's talk it out. Let's work our differences out, and you go be as super as I know you can be, Lee. And, and that never quite happened, but that did yeah. not cause me to not like the character. Starbuck I knew you'd love Bethany.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and not just Bethany. This is, there were, and uh, when, one of the panels we went to, it was a BSG panel, uh, all of which the cast are almost as entertaining as Michael Rosenbaum and the Smallville cast, sure, sure. but not quite. It's, it's hard to compete with, but we, those panels are always, always really fun to, uh, to go to. And Katie Sackhoff was at Dragon Con last year. And um, at one of the panels, she talked about the sheer amount of hatred leading into the series. And uh, she even said as, things as much as veiled death threats and really angry fan. Well, because this was at a time in 2003, 2002, leading into this, it was the world of geek culture was really different. And there's a very distinct. Um, What I will call, and it's a this is a a big word that means a lot to many people. No, no, there's a distinct movement that I think is largely positive of feminism that's come forward in the science fiction community as a result of people like Ashley Eckstein, and uh, I think one of the pioneers of that era is "What if Starbuck were a girl, and what if she was portrayed in a way that?" literally no women are portrayed in science fiction or fantasy she wasn't the attractive warrior princess she wasn't the all the stereotypes that usually see portrayed in women and i think it's one of the most solid portrayals of a female character in science fiction television and i think that's why it's so appealing uh to such a mass audience in a way that hasn't been before
0: bethany you're the only female in the room if <laughs> you like to speak to that said the expert riley who's distinctly male <laughs> And I can't speak to it because I'm completely single. ladies.)
2: <laughs> I, I would agree with that assessment.:
0: There you go. <laughs> Another oh, you get you're, you're
2: loud) <laughs> 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 But, I, th- th- see, Starbuck is a complex character, and she does have her flaws, and in a way I think they, they take that a little too far.
1: Was s- it season three, end of season three, beginning of season four?
2: Yeah, it's, it's Starbuck really kind of falls down into the... the As she
1: lost, in the same way that Adama briefly did, yeah. she lost her sanity and strength of character to a level that I think damaged the character later in the series. And I do think she was redeemed by the end.
0: I, I disagree. Okay, I disagree, and here's why: because you you have it from the get-go the character that is Starbuck, who is in who's in the brig for uh, striking a superior a hole. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, you you know you know just from that scene where she's sitting across from Ty, mouthing off, and he says something, and she hits him. You know that this is someone who's not going to wear feelings on her sleeve necessarily unless they are feelings of anger. And, you know, and she's going to do everything she can to push the world out. And if people get too close, she's going to uh, run. And when you find out what happened between she and Lee on New Caprica the night before, you know, the night of the big groundbreaking or whatever... They basically confessed their love for each other. And the next morning, she woke up before him and went and married uh, the Pyramid Player. Um, yeah, you know what? But the thing is, is it wasn't out of character. Sure, yeah. it wasn't something that came out of left field. It hurt. It made you angry, but it didn't come out of left field. And yeah. that caused Lee then to end up in his relationship with D. Mm-hmm. You know, to stay there, and and it and it made for some compelling stuff with those characters for a little bit. But I never thought, because it never came out of left field. It was never like it. It was never a situation like there were times with the president where I'm like, why this is? Why are you making this decision? This is not you. Mm -hmm. You know this. I understand they're trying to push you in this general direction, but the fact, but this is too far, too fast. With with Kara Thrace, it's almost like I can totally see her have. She's probably done this three times in her life. You know, already, you know, where she's with a dude, she's like, I'll always be with you. And the next day she's with another dude. And because she's so scared of the true feelings that she has, she's so scared of being happy. She's scared of being complete. And that's a real life thing. I've known people like that who they will sabotage their own happiness because rather than have it taken from them, they're going to take it from themselves. Yeah. Hmm. And and so it's going to
2: be like, I I'm going to push you away before you cause me pain, so I'm gonna preempt it, basically.
0: But then there's the moment but I also like the fact that Kara was the one true believer all the way through. You know, for all of her flaws, mm-hmm. for all of her stuff, she was the believer. She believed in Earth, she believed in the prophet, she believed in the in, in the sign, she believed in getting it. And so it is she in the end who really does get to see Earth and who really does get to lead
2: what do you think she was in the end?
0: She was whatever Gaius and Six were. Hmm. Gaius Baltar, when we, when we meet Caprica Six again, she's seeing Gaius the same way that he's seeing Six. And whatever those two things were that they were seeing, which were not figments of the imagination apparently, Mm-hmm. I think that's what Kara was almost. I mean, she kind of explains it there at the end that she and that's she's kind of an angel almost.
1: Yeah. Well, and I want to take a moment here uh, because we're gonna drift into this territory at some Mm -hmm. point. But this is the internet, Steve. Let me tell you something about it. (laughs) As previously established on the episode, this is gonna be an interesting part of the conversation. It seems Mm -hmm. that many people universally hate the last season and the finale of Battlestar Galactica. I don't know uh, where you stand on it. Well, good. We'll get there. But I, for one, would love to talk about this for a moment mm-hmm. and say that I thought it was perfect because, and that word was perfect, because Battlestar Galactica, especially in the last two seasons, is a story of faith. You just mentioned mm-hmm. Carith race mm-hmm. having faith, and it was that having faith in the, that vision of returning to Earth that to me was immensely powerful and I have the benefit of not being online or even really being aware of people's complaints but I do know that there is a certain level of general acceptance that well Battlestar Galactic was great except for that season finale it was horrible and it ended terribly Um, but I I, you know because Howard Stern said it I'm not sure I agree Uh, so that being said I, I think that there's a very very powerful ending that wrapped the story up really well. If the if the, personally. if
0: the series finale was so bad, why was I sitting there in tears for the last twenty minutes? So was I. I. Uh, and I, I'm oh, so glad you like it, Steve. I was gonna, we were gonna have a problem, but as, okay. Oh, and as Adama and Rosalind are, are kind of flying away to find somewhere to live, and she again spoiler to everybody, mm-hmm. and she dies there in the raptor, and he just looks over and he just cries. You know, he just. He just cries. And the last thing we see is him just sitting there on the hillside, you know, saying, this is what would, you know, I know you'd like it here. And I mean, like, it's y'all, it's so it's tearing sad. me up inside. Yeah. It's tearing me up inside just thinking about uh, it. And to know that, um, I don't, I, I, I was a little bit unfulfilled by the ending. Yeah. Because, I, because at the end of the day, I did not like what they did with Starbucks. Okay. Completely. That doesn't ruin the series for me. It doesn't ruin her character for me. It doesn't ruin that last that last season for me. But it does. It disappoints me as far as someone. This is what I wanted to see, and I didn't get to see it. You know. Um, I would have liked there to been a very science fictiony answer for what happened to Starbuck when her ship blew up, and that that was literally her yeah. who showed back up in a Viper you know, whether it be because of, of some type of mystical technology or some type of protection, some type of teleportation thing that was going on in that vortex that she found herself in. Um, and that because of what happened, came back with all the clarity that she had. Because when she came back, mm-hmm. she was a different person. She had all the certainty that she had had before when she was going on the mission for the president to get the arrow, when she was doing all the stuff, you know, she, her faith was back intact and it was though her faith had it to use a term had become sight Mm -hmm. and, and that Mm -hmm. she was ready to lead and, and anything crazy that she did was because she knew she was right and everyone else was going the wrong way. And anything desperate she did was because she knew she was right and everyone else was trying to do the wrong thing. And she was taking desperate measures to do the right thing for the fleet, for the people. And had it just ended up being, had there ended up being some type of, even spiritual, science fiction spiritual explanation, for it to be, this is actually Starbucks, she made it, and she and Adama live happily ever after until the end of their days on Earth. That's what I wanted to see. Didn't get to see that. Broke yeah. my heart when he turns around and she's not there. Hmm. Absolutely was, yeah. destroyed me when he turned around and she's not there. And... um. But the fact that he was okay with it made me a little okay with it, you know. I mean, like you could see, it was like par for the course, typical Starbucks, you know. <laughs> let's roll on, and and so, so I think it was kind of an angel type thing. I really do. I think that we're meant to believe that she was sent from the beyond to preserve humanity, you know, or that's mm-hmm. that sector of humanity because yeah. as to Earth, they find out well, there are humans here, you know, mm-hmm. the real Earth. Um, yep. Oh my land! The bait and switch of Earth that had been—oh, that was
2: so hard! Did that, that
0: just cause the pit of your stomach just to fall out when the first time they find Earth? And I guess what what the Lords of Cobalt would have thought was Earth, or would have called Earth. Um, uh, and they get there, and it's a nuclear wasteland. Like it's just, oh,
2: uh, Wow! But Star Starbuck is an amazing portrayal of a character. She's an amazing character. And it's it's rare that you see a character as flawed as she is that is still as likable as she yes. is. Well, and I think
0: that's the thing. I, you know, on, on one hand, I looked at, at Starbuck when I when you first say I'm like, OK, this is going to be the typical tough, you know, no one, nothing gets under my skin kind of person. But we learned to, you know, it has a heart of gold. But at the same, she's
2: more of a Han Solo. In well, ways. She
0: is. She's very much a Han Solo type character. Um but I'm telling you something, when she did let her emotions out, the time she did, like you were on her side, you know, you were rooting for her and you're like, just listen to Starbuck, you know, and, <laughs> and even in, in, in times when you could tell she was hurt, she never wanted to let the old man down. She never yeah. wanted to betray, you know, she, she was as fierce a friend as she was a fighter and, and she was, oh, uh, you just wanted her on your side. At all times, and and so yeah, I'm, I agree with you. But I think that she was a fantastic, fantastic character, one of my faves in the show. Of course, I've already said I've already gushed over the Adama rosalyn relationship. Um, I, I wasn't. A, I, I think had they gone the route and let Lee kind of become the superheroic, you know, Ultraman, uh, I think <laughs> I would have liked him a lot better. Yeah. Um, because that would have given me more the more black white character kind of thing. You find yourself during the series, especially towards the end, just really
1: craving in a way that you don't in any other kind of series. You just want a character to root for. Well, it's what
0: makes those moments like the rescue from New Caprica so awesome. Because you do crave those things, and then when they happen... Well, let's jump back. I mean, to use the New Hope as an example
1: obi-wan dies they barely escape the death Star with their lives and the death Star blows up there's great tragedy a lot of people mm-hmm. don't think about this there's great tragedy leaning up to but all of that culminating in the death Star explosion really gives you that true satisfaction that you wouldn't
0: have if it was like oh well they're bad guys and we got them right right and and so so you think of some of the best moments in the series are when they get a victory when they get a victory over the Cylons when they get away when um, oh my god one of the most disappointing things is Gata, mm. Y'all, I believed in that guy from the get-go, and when he sprung the mutiny with Richard Hatch's yeah. terrorist character, I was just like, what are you doing, man?
2: And his song,
0: mm.
2: Gaeta's song.
0: Yes. And after all that he did on New Caprica, I'm like, guys, give him cut him some slack. Let people, there's there's nothing holding you back now. That's the one thing I didn't understand. It's like, broadcast that this man is a hero. He fed the Resistance every bit of information they needed. He saved lives. He helped the plan take place. Let everyone know that it's because of this guy that we're here, that we're safe, that we're on the move again. And they never did. They acted like they had to keep it some kind of secret. That's true. I, 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 could, I mm-hmm. guess I could see that. You know, they would and, be. and I don't think, had that been the case, had he gotten the recognition I think he deserved, I don't think you would have seen a Gator go mutinous. And it broke my heart. It mm. broke my heart when he did not more than more. I was mad at Richard Hatch's character. I can't remember his name. Tom Bombadil or whatever it was. <laughs> but um, what was his name? Tom Bombadil. Tom, Tom, we're just going with Tom Bombadil. Okay. Well, what was Tom something? Um. Anyhow, with Apollo Prime, um, <laughs> I when they do the mutiny, the the few episodes where they where they take over. And they put him up against the bulkhead, you know. Once everything's resolved, and they in front of a firing squad. And the last thing he says is, "It stopped," because he was having the phantom pains and the phantom itches in his leg that he'd lost. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "It stopped." And then boom, he's it's like, ah, you know, it's
2: so sad. It, it again. broke my
0: heart because like he's he was the guy. He was the he was yeah. the one. And and then he and then he just he went nuts you know and and it's and it's a picture of that show same thing with the uh, the death of cassie um mm. yeah i forgot about that you know what, i'm depressed now uh, <laughs> 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 just just a lot of there were in that
2: or the death of cat
0: <laughs> who was cat who was
2: ah uh, the, the pilot that oh, was her call yeah, sign yeah, remember yeah
0: yeah that she stuck around the radiation too yeah. long mm-hmm. oh yeah oh, to save her pe- oh to save her oh man <laughs> yeah
3: Whew. Whew.
2: <laughs> yeah. All right, I'm All okay. Right. So Duala, I think, I that, think so. that was a storyline, Duala's story mm-hmm. that definitely yeah. was very tragic.
1: I think, I think if nothing else is a takeaway from this episode of Geek Out Loud, one is Ron Moore needs to start working with Marvel.
0: <laughs> Wouldn't that Marvel, not be amazing? No, no, no,
2: no, no. he'll kill people. <laughs> no, what you need hey, is Joss Ron Moore and restraint. Joss Whedon working with each other.
0: That'd be amazing. I mean, that that's a team up. That's one of those dream team kind of things.
2: And everybody would die.
0: Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> man, just got this sad, far away looking at her. I was like, she realized what she said. And everybody would die. <laughs> but never mind. Tony Stark was a great man. But
2: only after torturous agony. <laughs>
0: we Okay, real quick, because we bumped around, and I just want to let every bit of excitement that comes out as I start to talk about these moments happen. There are a few moments that are just... Blow your mind, amazing! One is the Battlestar Galactica, coming into the atmosphere, just literally free falling into the atmosphere to protect uh, the ships that are coming in behind it, as they're getting people from New Caprica to protect the landing ships, and then at the last moment, jumping to light speed mm. to to keep from crashing and.
2: Oh. That was an oh amazing gosh, scene What an
0: amazing moment in I the think others, my
2: eyes were probably like saucers during that scene Oh,
0: oh it was It was It was incredible because you see it And they did such a good job of showing it Way up in the sky just beginning to fall And, and it's oh my god I love it so much It was so it was so intense And mm-hmm. then for Lee to come back Into the fight to protect Galactic And the other ships so they can get out of there And then to have to get on the escape pods and get away um, And let Pegasus go you know, it was just beautiful, beautiful moment. The other is that mutiny situation where they get President Rosalind off. She's on a freaking base star. They are now with the Cylons, and she gives that speech to Tom Bombadil, where she he's like, it's <laughs> over, Lauren. She's like, no, no, <laughs> as we've already. And you're like, oh, she's about to bust loose. But that was the same episode where you see Ty and Adama with machine guns basically in hand holding the line you know, for as long as they can to get her off. And it, oh, Such good, oh, wow. good stuff. But then there is the moment, and I want to talk about All Along the Watchtower. There is the moment where the music's coming from the ship. We have spent, <laughs> at this point, three seasons watching Chief go through the betrayal and the agony of finding out that the woman he loved was a Cylon, Boomer. You know, and she finds mm-hmm. that out pretty early on, and then you know, and then deals with the ramifications there. Saltai, who absolutely hates Cylons, wants to give them no quarter whatsoever. The minute he realizes someone's a Cylon, it's kill them all, and and let and let the Lords of Kobol, so let the gods sort them out. Um, the 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 lady who stepped up to be the assistant to the president, mm-hmm. um, you know, who's just. She's basically a nobody. You know, she's this she's this random background character that, you know, is just there and you don't really give it much thought because you miss the dude that was the, the assistant to the Secretary of Education who became President Laura Roslin. You miss that dude so much after his death. And then there's, uh, what's-his-face, the pyramid player, who was part of a resistance on Caprica uh-huh. against the Cylons mm-hmm. and who this guy is... You know, every time you turn around, he's doing whatever it takes to fight the Cylons and kill the Cylons. All four of these people are hearing this music. And it all leads them to one room as they stand and stare at each other, realizing we are four of the final five Cylons. And as that scene happened, I'm like, there's no way. I, I looked at all of those people and said, there's no way any of these people are Cylons. There is no way. In, in, in this show, there's no way possible that anyone thought this was a good idea. There's no way. I, I was shocked, and which means immediately I had to go to the next episode uh, because I was <laughs> like, "I've got to find out." I, right. I refuse to season believe it. Three finale, is it not? Yeah, 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 yeah. And and I love though. There's the moment there where they're all kind of in their own place as they're making their way to the thing, and one of them says, "There's got to be some way out of here," you know. And uh, <laughs> um, what are you, some kind of Joker? Yeah, exactly. And then, and then, you know, she's staring in the, I've got, I can't get no relief. And you're like, oh, it's all along the watchtower. And then what happens is they're standing there, the Vipers are going into battle, and that's when Starbucks shows back up, alive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's like, it's all right, Lee. I've seen Earth. And you're like, what in the world? Next episode. And come to find out, yeah, those people are Cylons. They are part of the final five, with the fifth being, of all people, Ellen. Mm-hmm. The one woman who mm-hmm. I hated more than anything else on this show because she was nothing she's, but a drunken little. I know. Uh, she yeah, that, she
2: was so the level s- shallow,
1: of passionate hatred that that just kept mounting throughout mm-hmm. the series. Mm-hmm. Like,
0: how do you? But then, as she wakes up a Cylon, you know, when she wakes up in the in the resurrection, thing, you know, she comes at it with a lot with the wisdom. Like her character completely changes. You know, the realization that she's a Cylon. And and be, it does like when she understands who she is, who she is completely changes, you know. And and she is she now has the wisdom of, of everything that she's experienced, and and communicates that with uh, the other Cylons, and um and, and tries to be a voice of reason where she used to just be a voice of drunkenness, yeah, <laughs> drunken hussiness. But um,
2: <sighs> I tell you what, one amazing character throughout the series and major props to trisha helfer for playing this character is number six it's one creepy amazing brilliant beautiful, <laughs> beautiful. just i'm sorry Trish wow Elfer look,
0: i mean i don't mean to go all guy on you bethany but no. Helfer looks amazing <laughs> no right? I, I
1: will i will i will second that and say just an absolutely gorgeous actress and portrayal of mm-hmm. of
0: a terrifying character. Well, you know when she uh-huh. looked the best to me is when she's in prison in her little sweatsuits and stuff. I'm like, she's
2: so cute. Look at her. <laughs> 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 well, it's because you know, like, you're know you not terrified <laughs> of her true, in those scenes. true, because there's element
1: of fear. and Even in the more revealing outfits, you're just terrified. I'm just like, scared of women in general. What are you talking about? <laughs> 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 Who is literally a foot taller
0: than I am. Oh, man.
2: <laughs> and then she wears like three inch heels, too. <laughs> she. Uh, at least she did it. Dragon Six. Kong.
0: What was amazing about her performance is the the confidence that she exudes oh, for yes. so long and then when you meet the reborn Caprica Six mm-hmm. that was the confident you know coercing uh Gaius Baltar into what what happened when she comes back and she's not as confident and she's wondering if she did the right thing and guys and she's seeing guys Baltar the way that he's been seeing number 6 so that it changed i mean this is a these are dynamic characters throughout this mm-hmm. series absolutely oh, yes. you know and and it's the characters who are static characters that end up being the ones that have to go because they cannot change with with the way the, with the way life is changing for these people and so you end up with the Cylon Civil War you end up with uh, the stuff that's happening there through that fourth season before they finally decide to all settle on earth or the new earth or whatever they want to call it and um, and yeah Trisha Helfer Mylanta, number six Caprica six. Just an amazing performance, cause because there was one point where she's playing three, you know, I mean, full time three different number sixes before mm-hmm. the one that was on Pegasus blows up, you know, with the with the nuclear explosion or whatever. But um, and that was just a and broken six, yeah, you know that they just broke her completely, broke her, mm-hmm, yeah, it, the it's an the confidence
2: of the number 6 that most people think of when you think of number 6 Trisha Helfer is actually like that in real life that level of confidence uh, Riley and I interviewed her at uh, our first DragonCon. And home. by
1: and by Riley and I, Riley just kind of fell into silent awe. <laughs> that,
2: that, that has got to be one of the most intimidating, <laughs> frightening interviews we have done. So, and we have interviewed such people as so, Anthony Daniels. So and what was it like
1: playing uh, number six? You know, the go-to horrible question that interviews ours. Well, this has happened before. Oh, no, she didn't do that.
2: (laughs) I I think we we would have run screaming. Well, and what's happened? And
1: this cast—you get this cast reminds me of the Lord of the Rings cast or the original trilogy cast. When you see them together, they know each other well. They hang out at conventions. Yeah, they share rooms at conventions. You heard that here first. I'm not sure how public knowledge it is, but it is now. But, like, they know each other mm-hmm. really well and and interact really well. And it's just really fun to see, especially on, on stage where Aaron Douglas, who played uh, Chief Tyrell, um, was up on stage. And he was totally ratting out uh, poor Michael Hogan, a.k.a. Colonel Ty, <laughs> saying, and this guy's terrible. Like, he would try to get ahead. All the actors were in as much suspense as you guys were watching the show as to what was going to happen to us next. And... This this guy over here pointing over at Michael Hogan would do anything, anything to get a hold of a script to get a clue as to what was going to happen to his character. And I'll never forget the day that he swiped a copy of the script off of Ron Moore's desk so that he could then sneak into the bathroom and peer through the pages and shuffle through looking for any of his lines. And he discovered the fact that he was a Cylon. And you will never hear as loud a noise as ever came from.
3: <laughs> <Cylons>. No! <laughs> it's
1: like actor
0: Michael Hogan was as angry to be a Cylon as, as. the Colonel Yes. yes. Nice, nice, <laughs> yeah. nice. It is, um... Let's talk about the spiritual aspect of things. Yes. You have a monotheistic society in the Cylons, which is weird to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have your... Uh, your polytheism and you know the -hmm. holding on to things of of the humans and then you have Gaius coming in and starting his little harem and and religion it's a good description and uh it's it's cult and it's it's a weird focus and those last two seasons especially that that really becomes a focus of uh, some and, and some people didn't like that. But I, I think to
1: start that discussion, uh, we have to rewind, especially back to Battlestar 1980. One thing I remember about it is that they were overtly allegorical to biblical Christian views. Mm-hmm. And that was acceptable, evidently, in the 80s or considered normal. Like, mm-hmm. this, is, this is something that we can portray culturally now. That's not something that would go over as well on television right. as far as storytelling goes kind of regardless mm-hmm. of your point of view on the matter but they weren't afraid to go in a very very religious uh, direction but they weren't at, they weren't overtly allegorical at all right um, but like you get you, you would go to the point of where even like the god of uh, of the that would be familiar with the Galactica crew would be like well he sounds like your God and then they, and they're specifically talking about a biblical Christian point of view and that that worldview a biblical worldview emphatically to me does not come through with any of the religion that's portrayed. Mm-mm. But it's interesting to see as religious an aspect as the show took regardless of how accurate it was cuz it was like they weren't they weren't trying to be allegorical.
0: Yeah, they weren't trying to be they weren't trying to say here's truth, yeah. here's religious truth. They were mm-hmm. saying here's religious truth for these people in this show, for these characters. And it made for an interesting backdrop and it made mm-hmm. for uh, it was one of those things where you come away thinking, well, in this universe, maybe this is the way it is, mm-hmm. you know, because you, they do end up. This has all happened before. It all happened again. I mean, they get to Earth and someone writes, you know, our Earth, hundreds of thousands of years before we're around, and then it flashes forward and there's someone listening to All Along the Watchtower on the radio, you know, and it's the Jimi mm-hmm. Hendrix version, and yeah, and uh, <laughs> and you realize, and that's the thing that really shocked me because the Battlestar I knew. These people just happen to be far advanced from us. They were around the same time as we are. These guys were doing this out in space, years before human civilization. So it
2: really was was a a long long time ago. in a galaxy
0: far, far away. Yeah, (laughs) it really. But that's the thing. It really was. Yeah. And and I thought it was very interesting. They took that route. You know that they. And I wonder when. And that's the thing I want to know when I'm watching. I'm like, did they know that we're going to do this? We're going to get to Earth, but it's not going to be like Battlestar 1980, where they show up on a modern day Earth. Yeah, they're gonna show up on Earth before civilization. Well, let, let me let me call Ron Moore real quick. We'll Do that. I, I wish <laughs> do that. And, I'm, and those are the kind of things I'd like. No, not. Not to divulge secrets, or, or, but just to say, in the writing process, is this something you were ready, you know, that you well, I mean, as we for? know, when you're trying to ask those kind of, those plot
1: questions about a television series, we would probably, the phone would ring, 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 and it would not be Ron Moore, it would be Dave Floyd saying, hey, guys, probably can't answer that. Yeah, well, you know, as when you start out
0: to write something, you never really know where it's, I mean, we had a general idea, guys, <laughs> where we're gonna go, and... And yeah, I can't do a a Dave Filoni like Jason Swank can. Jason Swank can rock a Dave Filoni, but let's be honest, while he can do that while saving a baby and podcasting, so Mm -hmm. uh, saving a baby from drowning, I should say, he's an adventurous angel, guys. Adventurous angel, Jason Swank, um, everybody. But the the religious aspects of it were confusing to me, though. I really kind of got confused, and then when you watch Caprica, even more so. Oh, like you thought it was confusing. (laughs) Well, because like here's the thing: from a Cylon perspective, I thought, okay, their God is whoever created the Cylons. And for whatever reason, that's a flaw in their programming that to this day, you know, it's, they're a monotheistic society because of this. In this universe, there are many gods who, you know, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Athena, Apollo, mm-hmm. all these people. and uh, But for them, their god is whoever created them. We'll come to find out, uh-uh, they're monotheistic because this little girl who was a monotheist who ended up this program that was the artificial intelligence that started the whole Cylon thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, And I'll be honest, at some point in the series I kind of that just dropped
1: from relevance to where that uh, mm-hmm. was a part that I didn't that didn't capture my imagination as much at some point.
0: <clears throat> once once they got off of COBOL and once they found the earth that had been, you know, destroyed, mm-hmm. all the religious stuff kind of took a back seat to me. And it became and it became more about, all right, survival. Yeah. The mm-hmm. civil war, what does all this mean? And they could have dropped a lot of the religious aspects completely. But I do like the fact that they held true to the prophecies. The leader who led them there died, you know, in the leading of the people. You know, Rosalind did end up dying in the leading of the people to Earth and getting mm-hmm. them settled there. Um, all the things that that were supposed to happen happened, and I thought it was, and that's why I had no problem with it. You know, had had Rosalind and Adama lived happily ever after till the end of their days, and I guess in a way they did, but you know, had had you left them on the hillside building a little cabin, I would have been a little bit. I'm like, mm mm. You know, yeah. You yeah. kind of undercut everything because they went so far to show how true the prophecies of the ancient scriptures that they had were. Yeah. You know, in and all these different planets, on COBOL, on at the tomb of Athena, all these things. And so why not now continue that idea and that theme? And I thought I thought they did. But I never felt like they were trying to push a religious agenda on anybody. Yeah, and you I know? think that was a good thing. I feel like it was just something to service the story, which I think is always good. You know. Well,
1: and I like the the element that appeals uh, to me since it wasn't a specifically Christian allegory, but what's part of it that appeals to me as as a religious person is that element of prophecy where f- refreshingly religion wasn't a and here's the crazy people. Right. And that one thing that I did really like about the series was they took those prophecies seriously and that became part of the story mm-hmm. in a very mm-hmm. in a great way, I
0: thought. yeah yeah. Well, it's also it's a Hebrew idea too. That all this has happened before and it will all happen again. Surprisingly mm. enough, that's a very Hebrew idea because that's, I never thought about it. Because yeah. in the Hebrew in the Hebrew culture, prophecy is not uh, you're gonna fall down today and then it happens. Prophecy is pattern. Prophecy is I'm gonna tell you something, and it may be fulfilled in different ways until it's ultimately fulfilled. But you may see shadows of the fulfilling as it goes along. And that's what we see through Battlestar. Um <clears throat> I love the fact that Adama was not a believer, but he used earth anyway to, uh, <laughs> yeah. to, to, to give to give everyone hope, even though it was false hope, and he knew it was, but he was going to figure something out in the meantime. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, one, yeah. one thing that religion added to this show, though, was a heavy element of realism. Not because you, you believe in any of the religion in any sense, but because it really added a complexity and a richness to the universe that, Battlestar Galactica is um, people in desperate uh, times and situations tend to turn towards a higher cause or mm-hmm. a greater belief, um, and they 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 want something to turn to. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 proven time and again that even uh, people who have no religious beliefs will often cry out to you know god help me Mm -hmm. kind of a cry uh when in desperate situations and that's really that that is a part of what you see uh and that's part of what gaius baltar takes advantage of um is these desperate people. Let's
0: let's talk about him for a minute because he's an interesting character. And I'm like you, Bethany. I never liked him. He was always under my skin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did he turn around? I mean, did he? I think my perspective on it kind of informs from actually talking to the
1: actor. Um, well, I'd like to who's, who's, uh, whose name is suddenly escaping me, which is driving me nuts because I've been trying to think of it for a few minutes. And if only I had like James a, uh, James Callis. Thank yes. you, James Callis. Um, we're interviewing him the interview kind of started off in a pretty normal way. It was only going to be a few minutes. He, he was very tired. Last day of Dragon Con, uh, I believe it was last year or the year before. And he uh, said, at one point, so I said, well, you, uh, your, your character... Like, I had... Steve, I was ready. I had like this really right, right. involved question. Like, this was the question that he could really take his time and get into the character. And I was like, <laughs> you had a very... You had a very unique relationship with the number six, and your character, who was very complicated at many points and, and frankly, very insane for much of the story, an, seemed to have this evil. one thread of sanity running through it, and that was number six. That seemed, to, and I was like, like, pat myself on that like thread of sanity. Who comes up with that? You're brilliant, Riley.
3: <laughs> <And> <laughs> really mm-hmm.
1: and archetype, stereotype, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the few times where I feel like I know <laughs> what I'm saying. I mean, doing, well, saying to. I see I'm see. i with you, I know there. what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at, at, at which point he's like, no, <clears throat> no, he's absolutely insane. There's no, there's no two way there's and, no and two ways about it. I think it's funny you say that because I think it's absolutely wrong.
2: <laughs> wow. And he said, number six, Shut number six is his insanity.
0: I'm like, hmm? but they're. This is why I disagree with him on that point. because You're wrong, James Callis. You're will, wrong. Here's why. Because who was in the last shot of the Battlestar Galactica series? Number Those six. two. Those two. Yeah. And it was the two that had been the two figments of the imagination. Still sitting there watching humanity. Still there. She was not just his well, insanity. Well, not, not
2: just that, but uh, meaning... it. The early on mm-hmm. number six that he sees is is a part of what drives his insanity. It's, well, and it's I kind of what James Callis. We're actually
1: uh, James and, James and I. That's what I call him. James uh, agree on, on some. <laughs> 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 well, well, okay. for you it's Arnold Taylor. For me it's Callis. Sure. Um, <laughs> All right, right. But uh, I think it's the same thing. Where what I view as an element of when he reverts to some level of humanity still is when this figment of his imagination is 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 there about throughout the series and when he's as a human he's a pretty horrible guy Mm -hmm. um, especially as the miniseries proves and i think there's nothing as many times as there are moments where you think well he might be redeeming himself by the end of the series looking back his choices in the miniseries Made there's him, no made redeeming him, There's man. no yeah. redemption. There's no You're redemption. Done. And, and
2: James Callis said that because you, you basically said in the interview that uh, Gaius Baltar was evil, and James Callis was like, well, what do you mean by evil? Because he, he this never... This was a fun interview, by the way. He, he never, what do you mean by that? Yeah, what do, what do you mean by that? Uh, and he said... Such uh,
0: a good-looking guy, by <laughs> the way, though. I'm telling you.
2: <laughs> but And James Callis did, did say, though, in the interview that he just got so sick of playing the character c- closer to the end uh, he was just so just t- he said it, it took me three months before i could look in the mirror and say he's gone meaning guys baltar is he was is gone. and that's
1: one thing about some of these actors is that they really take their role seriously mm-hmm. when you're talking about him portraying someone who's as truly messed up, messed up as as he is that's it's kind of free- just what, I'm just going to put it out there. Acting career, not in the future of my
0: <laughs> Method acting, not in Steve's repertoire of acting. So. Yeah. I don't.
2: But uh, that 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 was actually a little... Uh, that was sobering to hear, quite truthfully. Yeah. Um,
0: well, he's a freak. What can you say? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. You're so mean. <laughs> oh, I'm mean.
2: Uh-huh. I'm, I'm no
0: Jason Swank. Um, <laughs> at the end of the day, though, I'm glad I got into it. I mean, that's one of those things, it's like, I do. I, I still prefer the original better just because of the nostalgia aspect sure. of it. Um, but I also always lump, for some reason, the original Battlestar Galactica and the Buck Rogers TV series from, from around oh. the same time together. Um, have you guys ever watched that? If not ever, the Buck no. Rogers, just the... If conspiracy. you ever want just a fun little romp and just fun 80s, 70s, 80s TV sci-fi, Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Um, you, you're not going to mm. like it necessarily, but just watch it bitty 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 and you'll understand that um so you guys have over at starwarsreport.com in your archives you have some interviews with some of the cast mm-hmm. of yes. battlestar from from years going by uh, starwarsreport.com yep yep and uh people just go to the older yeah it might be easier and easier to go to itunes yeah itunes is stuff. your
1: is your ideal place or beyond pod if you're using android mm-hmm. or something but yeah we we have like a 50 episode archive and it's down in the 40s right now um and that's where you can find. Okay. Th- so they're still in the main feed there, it, and in some of the older stuff from 2011, where we did some interviews, will be on StarWarsReport.com. Okay. But yeah, it's it's a great it's a great series, and I think it, it is a very rare time when you have a series that, for lack of a better term, is just that good. Where you have a, I think, I feel like a creative team behind it.
0: It's interesting the life it. that it still has. Yeah. yeah. You know that there are still people who, if they put on a Battlestar anything now people would check it out just because of the Battlestar name um and, and the fact that this cast is still having, you know, mm-hmm. uh, room-packing panels at Dragon Con and different every places. Every year. And, and
1: reliably. The Dragon mm-hmm. Con will reliably get a, a staple of the stars from the show, mm-hmm. and they will put them in the Marriott or Hilton Grand uh, Grand Halls, which are the largest seating mm-hmm. ones, about the size of Celebration 5's uh, auditorium. You'll get two 3,000, and they'll pack them every time, yeah, Saturday yeah. afternoons. And it's just astounding, the mm-hmm. level of uh, fan base that I would compare in many ways to you Star Wars. Easy. No, I, I, I think... Easy. <laughs> I
2: do think that... You don't see is... any
0: Celebration Galacticas out there. No, you there. do not. No, you do not. Although, it could be argued that <laughs> Or Galactica Celebrations, I should say.
2: There's a pretty big Galactica presence the, at Dragon Con, though.
0: Yeah, there is. Uh, right, there is. That's one mm-hmm. of the things that I know when I was there, I was very felt very un- inundated by, was, was the Battlestar Galactica presence. And mm-hmm. anytime you're online, I mean, it's it's a general rule of thumb that people really enjoyed the show. Which I always had a hard time understanding why until I got past that miniseries. Mm-hmm. And once I got there, I'm like, okay, I see, I see what it was. And...
2: and now looking at it, the miniseries I, I think held more meaning to both me and Riley because we had seen that first episode yeah, sure. first. And we're like, how did this come to be? Sure.
0: Well, the, um, the, the, the Bear McCreary doing the music, I was oh, familiar that was with amazing. him from Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Uh, he slow clap, slow clap for Bear McCreary. <clears throat> uh, the incorporation of all along the watchtower there. I'm telling you it was everything that fat boy Robert said it was. It was perfect. Oh, um, absolutely. And went right down from the piano playing, which now let's talk about Starbucks. I, so we don't have time, but <sighs> Starbucks playing the piano, that was her dad, right? That was the ghost mm-hmm. of her dad that she was or like just a, a figment of her imagination. She was imagining herself talking to her piano playing dad, right?
2: I've uh, she had his music mm-hmm. recorded mm-hmm. when she went back. Uh and she actually, remember she picked up his music. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I don't recall her ever really speaking with the ghost for dad. She had memories particularly she's talking with her piano
0: mom. player. she's sitting there drinking and she's talking to him. She's like can't you play a different tune? Don't you know anything else? Mm-hmm. And then yeah. she sits down with him and they play together. I mean, she's yeah. communicating with this whatever it is. Whether it's in imagination, I, like I always saw
2: that as that whatever spirit of but premonition a, that her dad had in teaching her that song, uh, that that spirit of premonition came in the person that she imagined playing the piano there, and well, I'm not also, sure that that was. It's
0: also post-resurrection Starbucks, so you're dealing with something pretty. Yeah.
2: Right. So well. I, well, I, mean, I, I didn't I, think, ne- I didn't necessarily see that as her dad as as more of an element of something. And her dad had that element, too.
1: I have no idea. <laughs> that would be
0: my response. I, know my intelligence. I, didn't, yeah. no, I didn't see it as her dad until he disappeared. I'm like, oh, my gosh, she was imagining her dad the whole time, just saying what she always wanted to say. Hmm. Just finally getting it off her chest, getting it off her old chest. So, well, guys, I just want to say it's been a pleasure having you here. Uh, at my home this week and in the Star Wars room recording Geek Out Loud. Um,
2: it has been so much fun being here. Thank you for having it's us. It's always
0: fun having you guys. And I'll tell you this the one, there's only one person I can think of I'd rather have here right now, yeah. and that's Jason Swain. <laughs> And I think you can both agree that yeah. well, you understand why. I mean, it, it so, say to be, yeah, so say we I mean, all. Yes, so say we all. I mean, come on. So say- and by the way, this episode was just going to be titled, So Say We All, but no longer. Nope. It's Jason nope. Swank, Adventurous Angel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, the email uh, for our show is geekoutonline at gmail.com, out online at gmail.com like us over on facebook facebook.com slash geekoutloud i'm excited about several things one there's going to be separate feeds there's already a separate feed for know what i'm saying the podcast with yours truly and carl leclerc of the Wampus lair podcast which is a subsidiary podcast of the star wars report at starwarsreport.com and uh we have a blast talking all kinds of different things it's a Sunfeldian show a show about nothing uh for carl and i and uh but you can check that out on its own individual feed or just continue to stay right here on the geek out loud catch-all feed as well as feeds for mark out loud and steve star wars corner coming soon to a galaxy near you there is a mark hamill like announcement i've made on a prior show that i don't feel like to make again until everything is official uh with the other guys (laughs) jason i'm so sorry i hope i haven't let you down jimmy mac you know that we're better friends than the adjacent. Anyhow, um, anyhow <laughs> <laughs> would love to hear from you guys twitter.com slash geek out loud anyway we'd love to hear from you uh, Riley and Bethany starwarsreport.com
1: yeah yeah and, and thank you so much for having us on Steve as always had a blast and if people are like who are these people they're pulling a Jerry Seinfeld just go to starwarsreport.com slash about us and that's where you'll find basically any links or anything rather than taking 10 minutes to um, clutter up your show so that's the place you. to go
0: I hear you Bethany, same. Thanks for being here, <laughs> Riley. Thanks for being here, and to everyone else, thank you for joining us on this episode, the seventy-fifth anniversary episode, which woot, I woot. think was great, guys. I think it went super well, and I'm looking forward to yeah. more in the future.
2: But you do know the only reason why this episode went well,
0: Jason Swank. Jason Swank. So Jason swank, swank wielded. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> everyone have a great whatever. We'll see time on Geek Out Loud man. Uh-huh.